<laughs> Damn it, Blair Speed. <laughs> it's not late night. But we're going to do our late night But voices. let's do late night FM radio voices. Hello. Introducing the latest track. Well, it was recorded in 1989, but just unearthed last year by the Derudi column. Vinnie Riley, the most genius guitar player of all time, sadly. Not making music anymore. This is like when Mark plays a song and I think I know it, only to realize I know the Rift song off of the original. Hey, you've heard the sample. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Used in another creation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, hey, Blair, welcome. Thank you. Just the two of us. It's just the two of us. Yeah, and well. So different. Than misty. And misty. <laughs> so different than. How we spend 95% of our time. <laughs> yeah well that that uh hi <laughs> we came in here because we are fresh yes returned from the great white north we are and it was still pretty snowy it was it was you know i just hadn't gotten enough winter yet this year so spring break was alaska it was more winter yeah. yeah yeah there was not the only the face and backs of hands got any sort of tanning exactly <clears throat> someone asked me i mean a couple of people yeah uh have asked like how did that happen uh, how, how, you know, like, and now I don't accurately remember other than the fact that I was never going back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. And I thought about that while we were there. You know, well, I've always wanted to go to Alaska for a couple of reasons. I mean, I have wanted to see it on my own, but a lot of what has drawn me to Alaska and, and why I wanted to go there is two parts, which are... A part of me one I wanted to go because Denali was such a big part of Travis's and my relationship you know throughout the 10 years that we were together Travis went up there three different times and because it was something that we navigated together you know people I thought about it while we were up there people would not everybody but some people would ask me you know like how do you let Travis like go away for a month to six weeks you know to go be in the mountains and I'm like well I, I don't let him <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, he, you know <laughs> I support him uh, and that that realization was if you if you love someone you love them so you're not letting them do things you're loving them for who you are and I loved a person who loved to be in the mountains uh, so I wasn't letting him go I was supporting him being the person that he was and needed to become. Yeah, you're embracing and also simultaneously pushing out the door this person who is just living their own. And it was like a great practice in our relationship 
it was a practice of every other year going back and forth. So one year it would be someone's focus, like someone would have a big physical goal that they wanted to go for. And then the other person got to play support. And it was really important to go back and forth in those different roles in our relationship. I always wondered, because I knew that he had gone up there in 2013, yep. 2015, yep. and 2017. Exactly. And that's because those were his years to pick a goal. And then my years were the other, the the even numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just like, it was such a special experience. And you gain so much when you're the one striving for a particular goal and you gain so much supporting the person you love the most in this world to go for their goal. Uh, and that worked really well within our relationship. And, you know, like I've thought about it so often because like I want to tell people how Travis moved in the mountains or, or his technical skills and, and knowing him, like, it's not that he loved Denali and it's not that he loved the West Buttress and he was frustrated that it took three different times, but I just, I just so valued his approach to it. Uh, he didn't walk into the range and think that he, and thought that he knew he didn't go with a guide. Him and Joey, uh, went up there, they drove up on their own and the first year they were young bucks. And so, you know, they made it to Denali pass in two and a half days and then they were annihilated. Then their heads exploded. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we're great. We are not so great. We we drove up here from about 4,500 feet of elevation, (laughs) ate a lot of A&W on the way, and then uh, flew into 7,200 feet and then climbed up to 18,200 in two and a half days. Exactly. Seems like a recipe for success. They were young. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So they came home and they're like, okay, we'll just, we'll go back. And so they went back and, and you know, it's all a part of our life. Like Travis training for it, him having a goal, me making his meals to help support him and this, um, our correspondence and letters back and forth, you know, and, and, 2015 maybe 2013 I don't remember which one a friend found out that Travis was going to be on Denali so he took a handwritten letter from me and and ran into Trav and gave it to him on the mountain you know like it's just like all these interwoven moments of our life are a part of this this mountain yeah and it was like and it was a practice for me to be home on my own and and to not have correspondence with Travis and and to just be connected to him soul to soul versus through the telephone or through the internet or something, you know, in, in 2013, there wasn't service in the range. Yeah. In 2015, there was service, but Travis didn't like that. So he turned his phone off, which I supported as well 100%. because I get it. And it's and and service in the range yep. is, um, it has to be in air quotes because it's, well, you gotta be in a, in the right spot. You have to be there in the right spot. In the right spot. And if yep. you're down in the hole, it's not going to work. Yep. Um, maybe your sat phone won't even fucking work if you're down in the hole, but, um, uh, but at certain points, probably, I mean, for sure, if you walked out to the diving board and you were at 14, you'd probably get service now. Uh, maybe 11. Uh, Yeah. It's yeah. Who knows? But, but it's, it is an unusual thing because, you know, we'll say back in the day, like uh, I think in 2009, um, I think Vince had a sat phone. Yeah. Or something. That was the first time I ever had a communication with the outside, um, unless you know from 
you know, using the radio telephone and base camp, which means everybody can hear your conversation because it's <laughs> happening. You know, it's a radio to a telephone to, uh, and then it comes back over the radio. So whoever's tuned into whatever frequency that is, you air all of your shit for anybody in Alaska who can hear. <laughs> I mean, some people are into that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a little, a little strange, but it just. But I think I I always found the, the isolation. Um, liberating it is liberating you you know if even in the smallest way of us being up there and camping on a glacier for a night like even just being in alaska in general which is a different culture than the lower 48 you know it's a different culture than montana it's a different culture than salt lake city like even being there where things are brought down to the bare necessities of like of existence and 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 life uh it has a different feel to it and it is liberating because you are able to shed a lot of what our society or culture or these invisible pressures that we feel uh, and then we can can have our sense of self um but to for my eyes to be drawn to alaska my eyes to be drawn to denali it was this uh, this big journey within travis's and my relationship in 2015, they went back and they just sat in the tent for almost a month. It was just a terrible weather cycle that they were up there for. So they like didn't, I don't, I don't even remember how they didn't go anywhere that year. I believe the term is welcome to Alaska, <laughs> you hoser. Exactly. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> this happens. And so, and Travis needed to get back to work. And so they're up there for like a month and th- there was no weather windows to move along. Remember th- why we went in April? Yes. Is because there's always a good weather window, we maybe need- like mid-April, third week of April. Yep. In 1994, it was not that. Yeah. Yep. Because Scott and I basically sat in the tent for three weeks at Caitlin Base waiting to try something. And then... Which is part of it. Finally got... I think it was a month of being there before we got a solid attempt and then we did it. But... Yep. It's like, yeah, the weather's going to be good for a day. The weather's going to be good for a day and a half. The weather, you know, you're just like, nobody was succeeding. Shit was going sideways all over the, the big mountain. Yeah. We were on a littler one. Yep. But it is 100% feasible to go up there with great climbing ambitions and to be shut down completely. Completely. Yeah. And that's a part of it. And that's part of the beauty or part of the mystique or part of the magic of up there. It's... Mountains aren't just rocks, you know. <laughs> they have just, their own ecosystem. They have their own spirit. They have their own moods. They're uh, just rocks. They're just rocks. They're just, <laughs> some r- rocks are a little... They stick out of the ground more than others, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and, and exactly. And and so, you know, and I must have been 2016. You know, Travis and I, were we were skinning Bridger Bowl. And so it must have been like before the season opened and we went to go ski. And so we're skinning up and I remember Travis saying something and he talked about training for Denali. And it was like one of the most, it was, I was more blunt and I was like, but you're not training because he was prioritizing work, which is, which is part of his journey and part of his life and a very beautiful part of it. Um, but I was like, but you're not training for it right now. And he like looked at me. And he was like, you asshole. <laughs> I was Quit, like, you, how dare you see me? Exactly. <laughs> but then after that, you know, it's when I was coaching people. So when I was coaching people, and I don't coach people anymore. I, I coach Mish, and she's the only person I'll ever coach, is what I say, but pretty much how I feel. Um, 
But Travis asked if I would coach him for Denali for 2017. I was like, this is a way I can support you. Like, let me support you. And this is a way that I can help support you on this journey. And so he let me and it was just amazing. And, you know, he trained beautifully ahead of time. And by the time, yeah. Does this include the off the couch did he start his that training program with the off the couch 50k or whatever it was the yoga pants run or was oh that God. a different year i would love to remember my years <laughs> i think that that was 2016 okay this, so travis was in a huge work cycle but he would always run any race i entered him in and i entered him in a 50k slash 55k which he didn't realize it was a 55k till the weekend and then he was pissed at me <laughs> But he'd never trained for it anyway. So, so yeah. Regardless, those extra five. But he yeah. did it. Um, so he he trained for Denali. He, you know, he backed off of work a little bit. He slightly, barely backed off of search and rescue a little bit. But he committed and he got in his physical training. And it was really beautiful to watch. And then we would be competitive running up Baldy, you know. And by the time they got to Alaska, Joey and, and Trav. You driving know, again. Driving again. They always yeah. drove. They loved it. Um, just part of like being able to shed, being able to shed a bit of your life situation and your environment and prepare yourself to enter in a very different environment and to be the person you need to be there. And that really helped them on the way there. And it also helped them re-acclimatize to their their regular to lives. lower to elevations yes exactly yeah. so that was a big part of their journey all of this is to say then in 2017 the weather was great they were in phenomenal shape and they'd learned enough about the mountain uh and they made it up in no i mean they made it up in no time at all i mean travis moved beautifully uh and they summited and um and came back down and 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 if you go out for an adventure or if you go to climb a mountain, that means that you're researching and you're learning the route or you're discovering your own route if that's, but I'm talking about going up a known route. If you're going up a known route and you want to climb the mountain, then you need to learn the route and you need to do the technical skills to get you to the top of it. And you need to do that on the way down as well. And, and that is what I value so much in how Travis and Joey approached this. I, on the other, like every technical mountain that I have, I have gone up, I haven't climbed because I've been guided up it. Granted, these are just my friends, but I'm not contributing to the technical aspect of the climb. You know, I've. Or root finding. Or, or root dis finding. Decision making. No, I'm just. Uh, up down here. In my way of contributing to the team is an awesome attitude. I can mule anything while wherever we're going, whatever the weight is. Uh, and lemonade and lemonade and pictures like yeah. that's my contribution and we're gonna have a good time even if it's like horrible i'm still gonna have a great attitude um but i couldn't do the peaks that i've done without the people that have been you know that have loved me enough to take me to those places and wanted to share those experiences with me and that has often that's been you know travis joey or jackson have taken me up all my te technical mountains and I just love that Travis and Joey were young and then this took time and then they were able to do it. And I'm so grateful they were able to do it and not letting Travis, that was air quotes, mm -hmm. going to go to Alaska. But what I did do in 2017 is Travis and I were getting married in September. He went to go climb Denali in, in May 
And I was like, that's fine, but we have to be married before you go this time, you know? And so we eloped without telling people um, before he left for Alaska. The bachelor party generally happens before the (laughs) marriage. As far as... I'm familiar with any kind of traditions. Yeah. <laughs> we tip, we wrote our own rules there. Perfect. Yeah. And so all of this to say is that this like mountain was like a part of our relationship in so many different ways um, that I wanted to be able to go see it. And uh, it just means a lot to me. And I have a lot of memories associated with it. And, and when I question myself or I second guess if I told Travis I loved him enough, or if I think that he was always guiding me or helping me and I wasn't contributing, I go back and I read our correspondence to one another. You know, in 2013 and 2015, we would write to each other every day, but we didn't share it till we were back together so we could see what one another was doing each day. And in 2017, I wrote him a book before he left. And so every, and I would do an entry so he could read an entry every day that he was on the mountain. And so when I have these feelings or insecurities that I didn't communicate my love enough or my appreciation, I turn to these writings from Alaska and, and I feel better. Uh, I feel like I express myself and that helps me a lot. And then if you, if you read through the book from 2017, you know, I asked Travis, you know, like there's all sorts of things in it. And I'm like, well, who are, who are the, you know, we can go further in our life because we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like the people who come before us enable us to go further because they, they have done the work. Like they have done work that we can build off of. And this applies to a lot of different areas and it applies to the mountains and it applies to us being able to express emotion. People have done the work and we learn. And, um, and so I asked Travis, you know, who are his, or who are his giants? And he says, you know, Mark Twight, um, Cartwright, and Tires. Um, So it's Mark. And then it's somebody that he worked closely with, with Search and Rescue. And and then it's his music teacher. I ask him, you know, why they're his giants. And and he explains it in the book. and, And it's really beautiful. And then I ask him, well, if you could have anybody on Denali with you, with you and Joey, who would it be? And he says, Mark, you know, and, uh, I think he wrote twice. He wrote twice. He, he wrote, wrote twice. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'd rather have twice because a <laughs> fucker can go uphill. Mark, you know, he's a little distractible. <laughs> Not as much as but Francis. Francis is the most distractible. <laughs> Francis, you, you know, just, you gotta zip that guy into a tent. <laughs> just, no, he still could be distracted. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, so there's all of these things are percolating or you know souping. But he said, but it was like they were at 14, I think, when he wrote that. Yeah, and he's like, I have 7,000 feet of feet vert, and uh, I need all the rage that up, can above me, and yeah, <laughs> and twice will get me there. It's really special to read that it's really special and, and to have it in his in my handwriting and his handwriting like yeah. it's not these type pieces it's in handwriting and he wrote that you know and he wrote that on the mountain and you know i had like and in 2017 he decided to reread kiss or kill on the mountain and so he was reading it and i knew that and so then i was reading it at the same times at the same time 
And so it's like this interlacing that's obviously and of course incredibly special in my life. And so all of these things led me to wanting to go to Alaska and to see this mountain. And 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 Travis believed in me. Travis Travis always interacted, which we've talked about on other podcasts, to someone's potential that was within him, not just who they were at that moment. And Travis believed into me to, to such an extent. He believed I could do anything, like anything. But he was like, except, except. <laughs> he's like, don't go do Denali. <laughs> he's like, you'll be overwhelmed by the humans. One, if you do, if you West Buttress, which yeah. is the only thing that could be in my wheelhouse. And two, he's like, you can't, you can't warm up. Like you, it was just yeah. too cold for you. Like you just, you know, I mean, I get Raynaud's in the grocery store. <laughs> And so stay out of the frozen food section. No, it doesn't even have to be there. You know, my, <laughs> my, my body temperature is always like a degree or less than what they say it is. <laughs> but okay. So that's all part of it. And then the other thing is like, you know, I, I know Mark here and now, and, and I also know Mark in other times in his life as much as I can. But I want to be able to go and see places that he's been and experience them so I can learn him more. And Mark has done, you know, profound things in the Alaska range and he's done roots and he has gone with different people. And, and, you know, one of the moving parts, one of the most moving parts for me during the trip that I didn't realize beforehand was thinking about the different rescues uh, that Mark and Travis both did uh, while in Alaska. Uh, and, and Mark had some pretty extraordinary rescues that he um, helped facilitate and perform while up there. And, and, if, and if, if you're a person that has the spirit of the mountains, uh, you have to be willing to help others because uh, that's how... And you have to be yeah. willing to drop what you're doing. Yes. Put your ambition, like press the you know pause button to do that, and I think part of it is it's the it is the mountain spirit. Yeah, it is. Look, we got to look after each other, or no one goes home. Yeah. Um, but it's also knowing that at some point it's gonna be you. Yeah, yeah. That needs someone to come look in, and I want that. I was always a, of the opinion that I want someone competent. I want a team. I (laughs) want want a team. team. Exactly. Definitely. (laughs) And so the biggest drive for me for going there was like to learn these two men that I love so deeply and have impacted me so deeply. And so I was like, Hey Mark, you want to go to Alaska? (laughs) So I think that that's, (laughs) it's true. And, I mean, you did ask, and then I don't think I said, hell yeah, let's do it. I was on the fence, off the fence, on of the course. fence. I don't know, because like, I didn't know what would happen if I went back up there. Exactly. Um, how I would feel if I would time travel and it would be, just be miserable for whoever was with me. Yep. Because I would just be sad. Yeah. Um, or not. Yep. I don't know. And then, and one day the mechanics came of it which was like we don't have to like just go and then see the thing through binoculars like right. i got a friend he has a company that has planes yeah we used to fly a lot together we're friends i we like each other and so i started this correspondence with paul roderick from talk Heat and air taxi and uh 
actually first with Courtney and then with Annie, you know, um, th- because, you know, Paul's out flying. Yeah, exactly. Or dancing. Good. Or dancing. Flying or dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Or skiing. Yeah. Paul does a lot or of things. Or traveling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just said, look, I want to, I went on the TAT you know, the, the, the TAT website and like looked and I was like, ah, they don't do scenics except in certain time of year. And I want to go in a different time of year because I don't know. Yeah. And, and I expect special dispensations because I am who I am. <laughs> and so I just said, you know, wrote a note and said, look, I want to, here's what I want to do. And I want to fly. And, and so this idea about like magical history tour came up and I thought maybe it, you know, got to a point where I thought that could be a good, interesting, like reminiscence or closure or something, you know, like a, a, a circle being closed. Cause if you spend enough time in Alaska and interact with the environment and the people that that environment has helped shape. Um, and then you just leave, you know, it's, I mean, I guess that's how most of us do things. We visit a place and then we never go back or, yeah. and I was up there a fair amount and I was trying to figure it when we were there, like how many times did you, how many trips did you go on? How many times did you climb Denali? How many, I don't know, there's some numbers, but I was up there a decent amount. And, you were up there a decent amount. Um, so I thought, okay, it would be cool, and we could fly by some routes that I tried and some that I did and land on a glacier and, you know, get out of the plane and walk around without falling in a hole, and and that would be cool, and that would be enough. Yep. And so we set a date. Yep. You picked the date. Good weather window. Good, good, not a bad yeah. weather window. Yeah. Like sunny until the day we left. Exactly. Fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, well, then it all happened in a way better way than I could have imagined. I really wanted to see you seeing that place. I know. And to and and also in something that you had said, you know, fast forward to being there. Yeah. Um, but we can come back. Yeah. Chronologically, um. Is that like when if if you see a photograph of Denali, you see a photograph of Mount Hunter, you see a photograph of Forik or even Mount Russell or any of those things, and you've not been out of the lower 48 or yeah, I went to the mountains. I saw these things in the Alps, you know, that are the tallest face in the Alps is, you know, well, north face of the Eiger is 6,000, but generally they're three to 4,000 feet high. And then you go to something and you go like, or you go to Yosemite. Yeah. You go, oh, cap, it's massive. It's, it's 3,000 feet. And you go, well, the east face of Mount Dickey's five. Yeah. And it's almost this steep. Yep. And, 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 you, and it's impossible to comprehend from a photograph. Like, you could see the small speck of a human being standing below something, and it's still, like, it's different than physically standing below or flying above, but standing, actually standing below where you can feel it. Yeah. And you're seeing it, yep. but you feel, you taste the air quality. <laughs> and the mountains are moving a little bit and this and that. But I think what you said, because, you know, you drive to you live in Seattle, you went to Mount Rainier. Yeah, as a know, kid. Yeah. As a kid. There's no, there's, it's almost like, oh, I'm a kid. I went to Mount Rainier. I have no concept of how big this thing is. It's just like a da-da-da. 
as an adult, you go to Alaska, it's probably the identical experience. Oh, God. I was so overwhelmed by the magnitude of everything there. Like, it is, it's incomprehensible unless you are in it. And I knew that it was beautiful, of course, and I, I understood that there are big mountains, but I've never seen anything like that or felt anything like that. And I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. I'm just going to say, and I had lost my appreciation for it by having been so many times. Yeah. So the magnitude was like, ah, it's Alaska. It's, it's, uh, this is, this is, it's, it's how it is. Yeah. But seeing you appreciating it made me, gave me back my own appreciation or my own sensitivity to it. It was incredibly overwhelming uh, to the point that it will take a long time for me to actually figure out everything or the words to communicate it. But I was just filled with like such a, a deep pride for you and Travis and the people that you went with and the people that you love and, and care about that were there um, for being in those places. And, and every, every small thing that you have to do to be successful in those places, like every, everything matters in those places you have to do everything right you can't you know you can't get into the tent with snow on your feet or like every like you have to have your hands covered all you have to do everything. don't set your gloves down exactly like you have to do everything right to be successful and to survive in those spaces and the magnitude of of everything there and, and the beauty of it and and the the freedom those mountains experience because there aren't a ton of humans in all of the places is like a freedom of spirit of the mountain of itself like to experience that was powerful um but to see those spaces and to, and to finally see denali that was such a part of our, our relationship like i was so proud of travis for being there and i was so proud of you for the things that you have the routes that you have done but and it and it's more than the routes right it's like your relationship with scott um, that is forged there and, and the relationship with yourself to be in those spaces. Like, you know, I, I, I often joke, you know, like, let's take this, let's take this to flatland for a second. I often joke, you know, that the memories that are held on a track, like, like a high, let's go high school track. Cause let's just make it, you know, like there's so many memories tucked into every corner of that track. Like people have had their best race that they'll have in their life there or their worst or their memories or they'll have stories that they tell for so much of their lives. But I think the memories of our lives get imprinted in the places that we are at in them. And so to return to this place that I had never been to, but the, the, the men of my life have been to, and, and it, it was transformative and powerful for them, um, was an exceptionally overwhelming experience. Um, to the degree that I, I didn't know I would feel. So that's why we did spring break in Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had a bikini packed in your luggage, right? Of Just in course. case, because there might be a hot tub or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> for sure, that wasn't... <laughs> the glacier I mean, attire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just be in the toaster oven. You can get sunburned in places you don't know you have. Exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, it was wild to go back and, and, and to go, or, I mean, even spending a couple of days in Anchorage and yeah. we'll, 
yeah re we'll circle back to circle, that yeah. but like i'd never really see you know every time i'd been to anchorage or even every time i'd gone to alaska before it's like it's a mission yep we're like we got the we're we're flying up we got the weather window we know we can get onto the you know we can be at Hilton base in 24 hours you know or whatever it is or we've got you know in the case of a couple of military trips it's like trying to organize all the moving parts you know to pack all the you know get, orient in the place, go to the PJ compound so that we could, you know, lay all our stuff out and this and that and get all ready and then get the shuttle up there, you know, and, and so it was always mission, mission, mission. Um, and, and I never saw anything else. Yeah. You know, I know where the Alaska sausage company is. Yep. I, people tried to get me to go to the Bush company once or twice and I never did, but we drove by it. Got to get those reindeer sticks. <laughs> and you got to get that. Yeah. Well, it's only 10% reindeer now. I think there might've been more before. But Sounds about right. Whatever. Yeah. You know, seems like that's yeah, the it does, way America's it. going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to pay the price, you can have it all reindeer, but uh, yeah, you probably don't. Dude, yeah. yeah, a little grocery store visit for a week up there. Oh, Woo! Um, but just to, like to be able to, to, to land, you know, land, get to a, you know, get a rental car, go to a hotel. Goose Fraba, yep. and then you know, just walk around downtown Anchorage a little bit and yep. realize, like, oh man, this it's kind of cool. Oh yeah, um, and to uh, and then to drive casually up to Talkeetna. Oh yeah, with no pressure. Yeah, was <laughs> well new. <laughs> I bet. Um, and or to think, like, I'm in Alaska. You know some. People ask, like, what are you doing in Alaska? I'm like, I'm a tourist. Yeah. And I got nothing, you know, I was a tourist before, but of a different kind. Yeah. But now I'm a real tourist, you know. I got my glacier flight booked. <laughs> uh, got myself a cabin by the river. Yeah. <laughs> and then to arrive there and to rent, have rented the same cabin that Rolo and I stayed in in so 2009, special. I think, um, was really wonderful. And then, to, like, and then somehow out of the blue, you know, he and I, he and I hadn't communicated for a while. Yeah. Like we'd not texted for some time, and so out of the blue, we had this amazing conversation. Basically, I think it started when we landed in Anchorage. Yep. And I'm like, well, hey, universe. Oh man. Put us. Yeah. Yeah. Bring us back together. Yeah. In some way, I could. I, there was. Um, it, we may say this again, but just in case we forget, I'll say it now feels like there was maybe more powerful forces at work it's to for a variety of reasons that made that happen i've in, never in, experienced something you know i've never experienced a trip a, a, a confluence a confluence yeah. of so much like serendipitous um magical like moments coming together um one after the other it it did feel like like this whole trip like there was like a higher connection and guiding in the whole trip i mean except for the salt lake city airport which i was like i'm never gonna get marked to travel again that was a lower connection that was the, the but lower that was spiritual the only, connection that that was, a spiritual <laughs> low point we decided whoever remodeled the salt lake city airport should get an award for having done the worst job possible yeah i think a lot of it i mean there's for sure there's some architect you know some design and human flow 
sort of dynamics that um, affected our experience there, let's say. <laughs> but there was a lot of uh, human incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that we got to be face to face with. It's a it lot was, of, yeah. It was, there's a lot I'll of not just, presence. I'll say amazing. <laughs> and, uh, pre- you, yeah, just imagine the gigantic air quotes that I'm, that are around that word. It, it was, I don't think I've had an airport experience that bad. It was terrible. Yeah. But we moved through that. And then after that, it really was incredible how everything came together and, you know, we'd planned a few things, but left a lot of things kind of open to the experience. And, you know, just a couple of days before we left on the trip, you know, um, this woman reached out to Mark and I, um, our new best friend, Alex, and she reached out and she's like, uh, she's a new widow and she, our mutual friend, Corinne had passed along some of my writing. Uh, and then she listened to the first podcast that Mark and I did together, which is, which is all about, you know, experiencing traumatic loss, uh, and the loss of my husband, Travis. And she listened to that and she wrote a really kind letter to each of us, to Mark and to I, um, when you've shared a similar experience, you become lighthouses to one another. And, and this is very much the case for widows. Um, we see, and more often than not, it's the woman. Uh, I, I obviously, you know, wives die in relationships that certainly happens, but it, it, in my circle, at least it has often been the men that die very young, often 33. And, uh, and, and when you see somebody survive something that just feels unsurvivable, it is helpful. Their existence, just knowing their existence is helpful. And of course you don't connect with everybody, but, um, you know, if, if I didn't have fats, um, what nobody else could understand and what I could not ask anyone to understand, uh, she understood. Uh, and that was a saving grace in my life. Um, and so Alex reached out to me. Because and, ju- yeah. Justin had died four years before. Be- before Travis Before did. Travis. Yep. So Justin died in, in 2015. And then Kyle in six, 20, 2016. Yep. Yep. And then, yeah. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, Fats has experienced a lot in life and um, was really um, a support, a pillar, and a, and a refuge to me. Um, and so when Alex reached out to me, you know, I saw that she was from Anchorage and I was like, well, shit, you know, Mark and I are going to be there in four days. You want to get together? (laughs) (laughs) Also serendipitous. Oh, so serendipitous. And, you know, and, you know, you can see, obviously I never, I never met her husband, Pete. Um, but you can like feel a person's spirit if you're open to it through pictures and videos. And of course it moved like, you know, you never want anybody to experience their greatest loss. You know, I mean, I was overcome with so many emotions when London died. One, because, you know, I don't want to lose my own friend. And and I also didn't want Aaron and Michael to have to go through that. And, and when you've experienced the worst thing that could have happened in your life, you want to be there for the people that you love as they have to walk and experience it in theirs. And so, um, Alex and I connected and, 
um, we went for a walk, which is what, you know, what, what, what? what people do that have <laughs> fucking lost it all. We go for walks. walks. <laughs> totally. And it was just, it was really wonderful to get to share time and space together and on a journey that, you know, we know intimately our own and, and, and we can understand a bit about one another's. And I've been talking to Mark, you know, I talk to Mark a lot every day. Shocking. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> and I've been telling him, you know, I want to at some point approach and, and I, and we'll do that in, in parts today um, about love after loss. Um, because when you are, when you are young and you lose your love, a difficult thing to understand is you don't just lose this person that you love and admire and look up to and helps you with everything in life. You also lose the life that you are building together. Like you, you have lost everything that you were striving for together. And you also lose the person that you were because that person no longer exists. You know, the people in my life, they lost Travis, but they also lost the Blair that they, that they knew. And that they knew with Travis. That they knew with Travis. And, and, you know, at this point, you know, this July, it'll be four years since Travis died. And I like the person that I am now. And a hard part of that journey was I would get frustrated not being able to share this person with Travis. But everything is changing all of the time. And so this is how Mark and I kicked started our spring break tour. Speeding <laughs> <laughs> with our friend. <laughs> Who it was he peaked out in February. Yep. I think. Yep. It's an open wound. It's a super recent. And and one of the things that I you know, that I have learned from you yep. in the past couple of years is to make sure to understand and respect the notion that um, it's forever. Yes. Travis is good that, that he's gone for forever. Yes. And, there, and I think there's like this, there, it, there is part in us that secretly, you know, hopes that wishes, believes, fantasizes that it was all a really cruel fucking joke. Yeah. Um, played by the universe, and I and I think that's something that, with Alex's loss being so fresh, that this realization hasn't hasn't happened, and she might experience it in in, in a radically different way, um, you know, ultimately. But and I think it's what a lot of what you you had come to understand, and then. When London passed, you knew immediately this is this is forever. This is not this is not about condolences for the first week and then forget a you know yeah. uh, forget about our friends. This is no, this is something that that is intimately interwoven. Will never not be a truth that will be a part of every single thing that happens in your life in the future. It's it's not a single moment. It it impacts every moment there and forward. Yeah. And I mean and it's, it's we do joke uh you know that 
our relationship is a threesome. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it, <you know>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, because, the, the best part the, is that be, it always was. Well, that's that's that the is best kind of, part. That is actually kind that of that is true. the best part. It, I didn't know it though. I was an unknowing participant in this. <laughs> you know, Mark was such a part of Travis's and my relationship. Um, for the totality of it, you know, he's a special person in our lives. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, and, I'm like, T-Man's here now. Oh yeah, of course he is. <laughs> you know, and, and Trav used to joke, I mean, uh, this is, you know, this is with respect, but I mean, Travis used to joke that Mark was my internet boyfriend because we both love photography and we both love writing and we have very similar styles. You just can't deny it. Uh, we have a similar lens to the world. Uh, and you can see that in our photography and in our writing and, and Travis could feel that as well. And he, and you're someone that he loved and respected to such depth, you know, that that could be part of our casual conversation, um, and, and beautifully expressed. And, and so you were like, so I just stand in this like intersection between these two outrageously incredible humans, you know, and I and I got to live in this physical world with Travis, who loved Mark so dearly, and, and, and then Travis died. And then through the workings of the universe in and of itself, you know, Mark and I fell in love with one another. And and we probably and we always did, or we always knew one another. And now I get to watch Mark and Travis's relationship develop and evolve in their own ways. And and as much as Mark impacted Travis and helped him develop as a man and, and a person who loved to move in the mountains or, or perform rescues. I get to watch Travis impact Mark deeply. Um, and this has a profound impact on me. And, and for me personally, it's incredibly special that these two who never met know each other so intimately. Uh, and I think it, it, it allows the excess of love for me, um, to flow more continuously and to not be closed off. Um, and when it comes to love after loss, and I, and I can only speak of my own experience because that's the only one I have a right to speak about. Uh, and, you know, and, 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 and people consciously and unconsciously have, have judgments, you know, you know there'll be a widow and she'll get with a partner quickly and, and, and people will have judgments about that. And, and, you know, who, reminds me not to do things like that is Travis's mother who lives with 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 such love and an open heart that she just she just can't judge another person she always sees how they're able to survive and and walk through their lives um but if you haven't experienced the loss and you don't know what it is like to navigate love after loss uh, and that has been part of this whole journey. And and if the... It's really shitty about the judgments. It really is. And, and you know, but I mean, I can be a judgmental person. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I, don't, I don't like that about myself. But, but not also... A, but not in that case. No. I mean, I, because you understand, you know, and you look at it and, and, and when... And, and I, I think often the, where I was sort of headed there yeah. was like the... the the judgments that happen always the, the source of that judgment or the, the judgers are all people who have not had this experience. Yes. And so they're commenting based on 
you know, internet knowledge or what they read in a romance novel or, you know, whatever. And yeah, uh, somebody one, you know, you lose a partner and, um, and, and, and then get into another relationship right of way. Hey, survival maybe. Did you survive? Yeah, did you survive? Congratulations. Fucking amazing yeah. because you know a lot of people don't. Exactly. And um you know in similar circumstances like I can't you know like can't go on. You're like quickly or slowly kill themselves. Oh yeah. Um or you know we disassociate a little bit, lose ourselves in something which is a distraction also won't, you know, but it will not be lasting generally and it doesn't need to be. It's just like look, I need I need to be held. Yes. Yeah, which is a legitimate human feeling is to the need to be held um, or to feel or to, you know, like. But then in, in your case, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to speak. I mean, it's kind of out of turn, but I'm not going to name a person. But, you know, um, somebody had said, man, she just fucking, you know, like held on for so long afterwards that we, you know cashewed up and remained adamantly give everyone the Heisman, you know, <laughs> single that we were really worried that Blair was never gonna, yeah. you know, come back, never, um, would always just dwell in this th- and, and, you know, there are people who are genuinely concerned, oh, yeah. um, because they, they love you and they saw that you were, that your way of honoring and uh, fuck, I'll, I'll say working through, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in air quotes again, because I don't have other better words, but like integrating that experience into life was um, was deeply personal and individual and, and alone. Yes, it, it was a super alone experience for me, you know, and I say that with with also I say that with also the feeling that I know how many people love and care about me. Yes. And my community saved me. My friends saved me, very much so. And also, it's a journey. And the great Catsby. And the great Catsby and Charlotte. And Miss Charlotte me. Ray. Yeah. You know, when I, it's like, how do you navigate when Travis died? You know, like my love for him, like he, like I just love him so much, and I love the being that he is. And he also helped me love myself for the first times in my life. That and I loved our life together. Um, that losing him was just such an obliteration of me and my life. It was really hard to navigate. But fortunately, I had these two beings, um, the great Catsby and Miss Charlotte Ray, who are just like the the greatest beings that could possibly exist and. And because the loss of Travis was so total, like I, I didn't exist without Travis. And I, I don't mean that as like a dependency statement. I just mean like he was the source of discovery and, and for me and the person that I am, love is transcendence for me. So I understood myself better alongside of him. And so losing him was an, a really hard experience. And so I made this plan, you know, after he died, I was like, well, I'll live as long as Catsby and Charlotte live and then I'll kill myself. Like I'm not doing this. Like I'm not living this life without my love, you know, and these, these pets walked with me. That deal's off though, right? That deal's off now. Okay. <laughs> of course. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Actually, I'm just some, a hologram some, now. Some plans I really can't help you make. You know? Thank you. You're welcome. But then, and it's like, you know, when... In fact, I might counsel against them. Thank should you. They. And, you know, like losing Travis was... I mean, obviously, it's so impactful for our entire community and our friends and his family and so many human beings that like, like cherish this person. Like Travis, everybody thought that Travis was their person, but Travis was like so many people's person. They just didn't realize it, which, which I love, you know, but when I lost Travis, a lot of the people in my life still had their person that could hold them at night. And this is something that widows experience, but when you lose your person, now your house is empty, you know, and Travis and I didn't have kids. And, and so now, and, and Travis and I were very physical beings. Like there was not a moment when he wasn't touching me. And so now your love is gone, but now your body, like you aren't touched any longer, you know? And for 10 years I slept next to him and now, and now it's empty. So you're navigating all of this in this really difficult time. Um, and there's something like, it's like a, it's spidey senses that widows have, um, like you can feel like the people that would come, like someone could like not say anything and they could like be in my space and I'd be like, no, or they'd be in my space and I'd be like, yes, please. Like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything, but if you just being here helps me. And so, and in navigating, you know, relationships and dynamics and friendships and, and, and the need and want to be touched in these times, I could feel the people in my life that were there for me and my well-being, and those were the people that were in my life. And then I could feel in the other sense, a few men who would want to come in and be the savior or would want, you know, like the story of being together after this traumatic event. And I a hundred percent Heisman them because I didn't need or want a savior, you know, like the only way to yeah. navigate that for me was to save myself at the core of it supported by my community but I've never wanted a savior I always wanted someone to walk beside and so those dynamics can just be felt and this is something that like you know your your person dies and, and the idea of love again is is absurd like it seems absolutely ridiculous like the, the, it's impossible the human heart isn't capable of that and yet it is because I used to tell Travis every single night before we went to bed, you know, like there's no way that I could love you more than I love you right now. And then every single morning I would wake up and I, and I would love him more somehow. I don't know how. And then he died. And every single day I still love him more, you know, like every moment it just grows and, and I still learn him and what a gift that is. And then, you know, for me, I needed time to learn this new dynamic and this new relationship with Travis because it is a new relationship. And early on in his death, it is like, it is mystical and spiritual and, and you are together in a new way. And I wanted space for that. And that's what worked for me. And then time goes on and, and things slowly change and, and, Mark and I started correspondence and, and, and over time I fell in love with Mark and I realized, you know, the, I, 
I am learning. I don't understand. I am learning in every moment the infinite capacity of the heart because my love for Travis doesn't take away, doesn't take an inch of the love that I have and the space that I have for Mark. Just as the, the infinite feelings of love that I have for Mark don't take away any of the moment moments or love that I have for Travis. And, and what a privilege it is to be able to experience that in a life. And, and I say that only because I've lived it. And someone else who said that I would like punch them to me. Like if someone else said that to me, (laughs) Hey, you'll find love again. It's just, uh, you know, depending on which plan you're on, you're going to be over your grief in six, nine or 12 months. And after that, you're good to go. And 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 but that is like part of the reason that you and I have connected so deeply. You know, Mark has just navigated his relationship with me and his relationship with Travis and and just such um a beautiful open and non-forceful way and just and just an is way. And you know, early when we would spend time together, you know, I tell Mark, you know, we would be together in Bozeman and I'd say, you know, I need time and space to just be sad or to be with Travis for a little while. And you were always and have always been so understanding of, of that dynamic that, that, that trust and that freedom helped my own spirit heal and grow. Um, and that's the way that that could be navigated in my life. I'll come back in a week. Exactly. Yeah. Can you imagine now? I'd be like, don't leave for don't. a week. <laughs> I know. When I came down, drove down for the Matthew Weatherly White podcast. Yeah. It's like, shit. <laughs> well, that turned out rather differently in any yes. case, because I was coming down one day here and then I would drive back. Yep. And then a snowstorm blew in. Fucking snowstorm came. I couldn't leave the morning that I thought I might be able to. And then I looked at the weather forecast and I was like, motherfucker, if I don't leave now, it's going to be, I, I won't get home until Wednesday, you know, like four days from now, maybe. Yeah. If the roads are good. And that's, yeah, why I drove all, I drove all that. I was like, I can't, I don't want to be away or far. Um, you know, th- this aspect of, we'll just say love after loss. And I, I and, 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 and we've talked about it, be, but it's mostly observational or it's observations that we've made about people who, let's say a husband dies, widow resolves this, you know, integrates well enough into that loss and life um, to start a new relationship. Yeah. And new man comes along and he's jealous of dead guy. Yes. You know, like, or yes. jealous of the attention, the the time that was spent, the the energy and love that still exists. I'm like, that's, how could you, oh, you're young. Okay, don't, that's, don't, I get it. You know, that's all, and all I can say is inexperienced and young and insecure. Yeah, and, and wouldn't you want to be with someone who can love like that? Granted, they can't hold that love over your head, right? Well, that's true also. Right? Like, yeah. Like, and, and I think that's a really beautiful balance is like, like you love and accept Travis so much and you admire the love that I have for him and, and, and your own love for him in such beautiful ways. I mean, it's the only, it's the only way I could 
experience love again is is for someone who can respect and see and feel that and and be a part of it because it's not separate it's a part of and also i couldn't be a person that held that over somebody else in in the sense of like you know um people can be like you know well well, travis did things this way or da 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 like none of that that doesn't exist um yeah but if you say that to me i'm like well why did you do things that way (laughs) like i'm going to examine this because clearly it's a person that that i respect and i love and i want to know why he would do something in a certain way and because of like figure it out but i would never say it condescending well yeah i would always say it as um an of course yeah you're yeah exactly (laughs) you're blur fucking speed of course (laughs) course you would never (laughs) (laughs) but i mean to think about how you know when i you know we joke about it being a threesome but He's, yeah, he's with us all the time. And like I said before, he's here um, now. And because I share a closet with Trav, I I mean, every waking moment up north is, I mean, maybe even here, but but he's present. Yeah. And I dig it. I dig that you dig it. (laughs) (laughs) And to be able to, you know, spend time with Kelly and Dan. Yes, his, his, his parents. parents. Yeah. Um, to be able to s- spend time with people who have been deeply affected by his passing, yeah. that were friends, that were coworkers, that were collaborators, climbing partners, and to see how much he impacted them. I'm like, this is the tr- tremendous loss of a great, great human being, a powerful human being. And what you said about, you know, these people who thought they were Travis's person and he had a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just to think like, wow, he gave such care and attention to people that they were able to, that they felt that. Yeah. And is really, it's really powerful. It's incredibly powerful. And then, and, and what I'll add to that is, is, is to not forget your own walk with all of those people as well. Because it would take a very special person to come into a family that has lost tremendously. It would take a very special person to walk into a community that has lost tremendously. And for that family and that community to feel that person and to feel seen and supported by that person and to welcome them to walk that journey with them. And that's a testament to how you have navigated a difficult and life and love and loss situation. And that's what I remind both of you is, is that you help one another. And that tremendously helps me and the people that love both of you. So there we were in Alaska. So there we were on spring break. <laughs> spring break, 98. <laughs> 98 was t- very different. <laughs> Same, man. Same. I'll just say April of 98 was super different. Yeah. Same. Middle school is wild. <laughs> I'll say we had just done the first ascent of the gifts that keeps on giving on the south face of Mount Bradley, a nice winter ascent, winter first ascent in the Alaska Range. Same, same. In March. Buchanan Middle School. <laughs> Buchanan. Maybe Gaither. 
Yeah. Maybe. Oh, okay. High school. Maybe I was in high school then. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 98. What a year. <laughs> <laughs> but to, yeah. So, I mean, we end up in Alaska. So we end up in Alaska. But we're going to circle back on let's, the heavier stuff. No, let's we get, did. Let's, let's go just, to Alaska. Let's go yeah. light for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because I'm uh, feeling a little dehydrated from the <laughs> tears over here. Um, so drop by the 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 Talkeetna Air Taxi office. Which was awesome. Which... Like, Annie runs up to you, like... Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, to see the love... Like, it was a special experience because of the environment and the place. But because there were still so many people that love and connect with Mark from his time there, like that is what made it such an incredible trip. And we arrive at Talkeetna Air Taxi and Annie runs up to Mark, just thrilled to get to see him again, who was the base camp manager. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we met in 1994. I mean, we, yeah, Scott and I were on the glacier with Annie for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> that, that trip. And, and then... Back the following year, and then '98, uh, same. But I wasn't, I wasn't, in, I was in the range, but I wasn't in base camp here on the radio doing the weather. Uh, and then it was really something, yeah. To because you know, like I'm going back to a place that's in my past and far enough in my past. I'm like, no one's gonna be around that I knew then. You know, I know Paul still got his business and. Yep. He's rocking it. Yeah, he is. <laughs> um, but there were, there, I didn't, I didn't think, you know, that uh, other people would be around, or if I don't, I don't have that. They won't remember me thing because that's not. <laughs> that's never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but I just assumed that people had moved on because I have, you know, my last time there, I've gone through two different new careers or yeah. big changes since then. And, uh, and so I wasn't expecting to, uh, to have that experience Yeah, and to, to see Annie and to realize that she, you know, still in Alaska every, you know, good part of the year and spends four or five months, you know, back home, yep. um, and, uh, looking after her mom, I think on the, uh, in the in the interim and then comes back yeah that was that that blew me away i mean she like kick-started it and the and the fact yeah. like to like see her love and excitement like like that kick-started but that just kept coming like right like that that came through with the people that knew you intimately and deeply who were your friends like that came through but also like there was another level of it in the sense of like you know today's alpinists today's climbers today's mountaineers like for them to hear or like for them to realize that's mark twite like that's mark fucking twite and he's here like their joy and excitement and um, for you to be there was so palpable and so felt. Um, I mean, I guess it started in Anchorage at the climbing shop. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, totally. <laughs> yeah. Out of which amazing that Alaska mountaineering and hiking, the museum that it is still exists. Yes. Is a, 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 that just made me thrilled to no end. Yes. And obviously Paul doesn't own it anymore. A different Paul, but um, yeah, there's still, photos on the wall and the fucking relics and stuff that are there that it's just a walk through time it was special um, to feel the people that n that know you right 
their love. But then it was that added layer of, you know, that guy, Mark, Mark. wasn't his name Mark? Yeah. yeah. Mark, the the kid who was flying into the range. To do 11-3. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, look at you. I Yeah. <laughs> I pay attention. <laughs> um, they're like, you know, the double takes and then like the immediate recognition of Mark. Like it's it's exciting um, because they're excited and because you impact them and inspire them and and you are one of the giants of the shoulders that they're standing on and that and 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 how rare and beautiful that we get to meet those people sometimes you know like you know how would I have felt if I got to meet like Jackie Joyner Kersey or something you know like these like people that come before us that move and impact and inspire us the chance to meet them. It's it's really special to witness that happen. And special, really special at this, in this moment of my life. Yeah. To have it happen. Yeah. How come? Well, because 20 years ago, I would have blown, not, not blown him off and ignored him. Yeah. But I wouldn't have been able to appreciate, yeah. you know, how they had been impacted. Yes. Or that they had been. Or that, you know, there's always a thing, you know. And and I don't know if it's confined to male psychology, but there's something about like I want to I want to have had a positive in, impact, you know. And and maybe you know it's it's as um, it's as silly as someone saying, you know, I just I don't want to be forgotten, you know, or 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 I want a statue built in my you know in my name so people can tear it but- down in fifty years from now, but. But there's a there's a thing now. I find it it reinforcing. Like, holy shit, there are people who kind of know what I did and were maybe inspired by it, or read what I wrote and were inspired by it, or read other things that I wrote and took it as a how to and went and did those things. And they're out here having they're out here like going after some wild fucking adventure and experience seeking a transformative experience because they got like a hall pass or saw a fire burning on a hill or whatever, you know, other metaphor that you want. Um, they got to go try. Yeah. And I realized like, man, I don't, that's really, it was really moving. Oh, I'm sure for in every single instance when it happened um from uh that moment in the Alaska mountaineering and hiking with mark to you know landing on the toka sitna looking out the airplane window and somebody fucking there in that camp <laughs> looks at me through the window Telling everyone around her, that's Mark Twight. <laughs> Megan goes, that's Mark fucking Twight. Nice, <laughs> hey, still ambulatory. You can get off the plane by himself without a walker. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, sometimes I like, I like think about, you know, if I get to live to be in my 60s, if I get to live and make it that long, and I think, well, I'll learn Mark even more because he was that age, you know, at this point in my life. And that's like when I, when I think about, or I experience our age difference, that's the ways I'm like, well, that will be another way I discover Mark. Cause I can't know that now. I can only know that, you know, when I'm that age. Um, and, and 
One of the things that I love about these people approaching you with such gratitude is, you know, we, we can strive so hard in our lives and we can strive so hard to maintain integrity or to push back against the invisible forces of our culture, our systems that, that fail us over and over again. And we can do this work and it's hard work and it is lonely work and we can feel alone in that process. And then to, to have done so much in life and, and to not only have done, but to have impacted others to push against those forces that, that might feel alone in the process. And then for them to walk up and, and, and to be brave enough, uh, to walk up and introduce themselves and, and, and everyone in Alaska was so conscientious and respectful in the ways that they approached. And it was really beautiful to get to witness. And, and I can only imagine, um, having the open heart and ears to be able to hear that and to, and to know, you know, a part of this, this effort and this work over this lifetime, which is still happening is worth it for, for these moments when I learn that somebody else is, is pushing against these forces or they're keeping their spine straight with integrity and in this world that often screams for it to bend. Um, it's a very powerful experience to get to witness. I gotta make an admission. Yeah. Um, I've been out of climbing. Yeah. I would occasionally pay attention. Sometimes I go a year without like, no, somebody did what? Yep. You know, or maybe the only references to climbing would be, you know, that I would have personally would be, oh, did you hear so-and-so got chopped or something? You know, that would be how climbing would intrude on my life of not looking at it. And and then last year, kind of got drawn back in t- towards it a little bit when the fucking conditions on the Slovak direct on Denali were good. Yep. And I guess I'll just say enough time had passed where it had been demystified. You know, what had happened up there had been demystified. And then it just fucking got sent. 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 (laughs) (laughs) You heard these guys did in 22 hours. What the fuck? (laughs) No, no, sorry. Just came in. News came. News slash 17 now. (laughs) That's down to 17 hours. And I'm like, who the fuck are these kids? Matt Cornell. And, and how did they get this good? <laughs> yeah. You know, how to, what, what was the trajectory? And so I start reading a little bit and then got to meet Matt, for example, at the Ice Fest, just yep. briefly. Yep. And talked and exchanged phone numbers and um, where were oh, we were at Kyler's Memorial. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Justin? Oh, um, yeah, Justin Willis. Yeah. 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 Uh, just a you know casual in passing, like yeah. super really beautiful energy. Oh, got it. Yeah, he's and, amazing. And, and a, you know all of the names, you know Jackson Marvel and Alan and Sam Hennessy, you know like this this crew of yep. people and many you know others obviously. Yeah. Um, but I'm like start to like learn a little bit more about them, yep. and so when I saw that like and here's an, a, a 
a description of how the Alaska range has changed from no service, <laughs> CB radio, and good luck, you know, to, to call a plane and get out if you're in trouble, um, to modern era, you know, with the spot units and satellite phones and all this shit being super common, um, and weirdly, cell service in the range. And so I know that I'd known that uh, Matt and uh, Jackson and Alan had done this new route on Mount Dickey earlier in April. And uh, and then had heard for some reason that he might still be up. That Matt might still be there. Yep. So I sent this text at some point. You know, d d did not get delivered. So I said, "I'm like, hey, are you still in Alaska?" And I think we were in Anchorage, and I was like, "Maybe you'll be in Talkeetna. Maybe we'll cross. Like cross and, yeah. You know, go to the Fairview. Yeah, go to the View. Go, go to the View. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Check you out. Eleven three. The View. Yeah, or, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, so then this text and that, you know, are you still in the range? Didn't hear back, didn't hear, didn't hear back. And then we're on this flight. We're flying out from the Kachatnas and my phone is in my pocket and uh, it buzzes. And I'm like, what in the fuck? I'm in an airplane flying back from the Kachatnas to Talkeetna. We'll talk about how we got to the Kachatnas. Yes, yes. Fuck. <laughs> um, my phone buzzes. I take it out and it's a text from Matt Cornell. Yeah. With a selfie. Uh, of him on top of Mount Huntington. So he just good. soloed the West Face Couloir. My my feeling is that it, this was in real time. I think so too. It makes sense because for I the get timeline. like yeah. that uh, and for cell service. Yeah, because if you're down in the basin in the Togo City, there's no service. Yeah. Came from his cell phone, so my guess is that he's taking a selfie on top of Mount Huntington, sending it to Mark Twain. <laughs> you know, and like, wow, this is this. My head is I'm an exploding unicorn head right now. This is fucking amazing. Yes, and so I learn more about you know some of the some of what you know these young kids and what they're doing. They're doing incredible things. They're doing. They are doing incredible things, yeah. and. And there's the, the the shoulders and the giants thing and all that, but and it, it's gone beyond anything that I could have comprehended twenty years ago when and I was active. As it should. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, when Matt and I met, I was like, "How the fuck did you guys do it that fast?" And he's just like, "Well, how the fuck did you guys do it that fast?" Yeah, you know. Yeah. And yeah, the 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 amount of time it took each of us different, and there's twenty some years in between two years in between but like i didn't apparently we uh us spending all that time and it was 10 years essentially trajectory from well yeah i'll just go 10 but mostly you know in six or seven years trajectory to figure out how to do something like that yeah. up there um, and now it's, and it's just, and it's refined to such a degree. I mean, Colin Haley soloing the fucking infinite spur is just like, and I think, uh, I want to say Michael and George did the first ascent in 79, maybe 77. Anyway, to, th to think of what happened in, in a pretty short amount of time, um, in terms of development, confidence, experience, access, you know, all of it is really really mind-blowing it's completely mind-blowing and you know what i love about who you're talking about right now is is they are doing these incredible and exceptional and beautiful things in the mountains 
And also their spirit is like in line with the mountain spirit. Like they are people who have diligently put in the time and experience and have like taken these steps and these bites along the path that have led there. And they're not. And seeking like ultimately seeking experience instead of acquisition. Yes. Which or eyes on them or eyes on them. Yeah. Right. Like they like their heart is like in the experience of it. Like and their appreciation of being there. And if nobody pays attention, it doesn't impact them and yeah you know and especially like thinking about matt and sam in particular like i mean honestly a lot of them and i i I, names are but these people are doing these beautiful movements in the mountains and they don't care if anybody sees them do it and they're well connected to history yes evidence you know after we got back from alaska i was you know texting with jack tackle who has, you know, he had a list of projects up there that was so big that he could not get to them in his lifetime. Yep. So he, and he shared a lot of that knowledge with yep. some of the, some, you know, people who are active right now, these kids. And, and so this new route on Mount Dickey that uh, Matt and Jackson and Alan did, oh. Tackle had tried in the 80s with Jim Danini. Yeah. And they got a thousand feet up. Yep. Had to bail conditions, weather, whatever. And so those guys, probably the only party to have been up there since yeah. um, to try that route. And, and obviously this team finished it this year, but they found the number five wired stopper, which was the high point, the, the, the single piece that Jack and Jim uh, repelled off of when they had to turn around up there. So Alan pulled it, put it in his pack and, you know, a took a picture, you know, had a picture of him holding it and sent it to Jack and then put it in the fucking mail to Jack to get it, you know, to close that circle. That's so special. And it's it which is that to me is really powerful to be to know the history um of of the activity that you're doing. Yes. That because if if you don't know the if you don't know the history then there are no shoulders to stand on. And yeah, and there's no respect to build on. And there's no respect to build on and there's no vision, there's no platform from which to look even further out. Yes. And to to have that happen to like have a sense of history but not be anchored there is um and it is extraordinary. It's it really is. fucking beautiful. Um can we talk about a couple of exceptional adventures that we get? To, we got to. Um, I'll let, use the word participate. Well, witness. So that night in the view. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, can we okay. talk about that? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It might have some. I don't know how legal that was. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, man. But yeah, and then it happened. So too late now. <laughs> And from here on out, it's just hearsay. There's no evidence. <laughs> uh, I've been a couple of adventures before that one. Okay. <laughs> so we got invited on a plane ride. We got invited on the most awesome plane ride ever. Of all time. Of all time. Oh my God. <laughs> so, I'd, yes, I, I had kind of... I loosely organized. I told, you know, Paul uh, what I wanted to do up there. Like, I want to, you know, fly a magical, fly, history, fly, tour. magical history tour. Which, yeah. 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 So, busted out a wool sweater and. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. And I got a retro pullover, but <laughs> we'll get to that. That's later. Yeah. Exactly. 
And um, so Paul's trying to figure out, like, all right, you know, if if these are full custom, you know, the 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 uh, tour, it's going to be super expensive. But I got all these flights. I got to drop some climbers here. I got to pick some up over here, and I got some other things. And so we start talking. He goes, "Hey, I got to drop these French guys off in Cantishna, um, or somewhere out that way on the north side of the range, and I got to fly it over uh, to the west of the range, pick up some other people." Um, that'd be a good one. You know, there's room in the plane. I've got these otters now that could carry a lot of shit. And, uh, um, and so you could come and that way we could look, maybe we could like do a flyby on Mount Bradley on the way. We could do the South face of the Moose's tooth to get, get, catch that on this run. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Let's go. Yeah. You know, I, I've never been out there, never seen the North side of the range at all. Yeah. So we're standing around on the, <laughs> On the ramp, yep. You know, behind the airplanes, with these guys, French guys. And I always, you know, take an opportunity to practice my French. I and know. I don't know who they are. Yeah. Uh, I just understand that they're about to embark on a really fucking wild journey. A proper adventure. Proper adventure, which I'm like, I gotta find out a little bit more, or maybe I'm not gonna say anything until we're. In, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Ah. One of them walks by and says bonjour, and so I replied, and then he looks at me like, ooh, he's, you know, apparently the accent was good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we start talking, and I ask where they're going, what they're doing, where they're from. Uh, it's Elias and Alex. Alex, yeah. And uh, they live in Chamonix, yeah. and they've been out here before, and this and that, and we go through the thing. I'm not, I can't, I'm just not. I don't know why I was so reticent to just introduce myself completely at first. That's just a thing. Yeah. Part of the thing is the relationship, the conversation changes. The conversation changes between me and other climbers when they find out who I am. Yes, that makes sense. And so I want to, I want to leave that out of it for as long as possible. Just have a decent, uh, you know, amount of knowledge about the environment, the terrain and what it would take for them to do what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, they want to do what they're packed to do, what they're getting dropped off to do, which they can't get out of once they start pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, and so we started talking and then eventually we trade full names and then it's just like, Oh my God. And they work with the Manu who I used to work with at Gravel and yep. which means if they're working with Manu, then they're working with Giovanni, which means they're all, they're involved with technical development and, and marketing with blue ice, yep. um, company. And then they know Belcourt, uh, who runs blue ice in North America. They know Maxime Turgeon who, you know, lives in Chamonix now he's working with blue ice over there, but he's like one of the first kids I sponsored at, you know, when I was doing Gravel North America, he's married to my friend Zoe who, who you know, da 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 like small and the alaska range is like that yeah that world gets even smaller yes deeper into the story it does but um to run into these guys and then have and then be able to share this hour-long basically plane ride with them help them unload their shit you know to start off an adventure that they think is going to last 50 days no caches entirely self-supported to ski from Kantishna. they had hoped to ski from wonder lake or closer uh, conditions would allow landing there. So from Kantishna, ski to up, you know, ski to and up the Peters Glacier, drop some stuff, climb Denali, come back down, pop over the range by another pass, I'm guessing, uh, find the headwaters, you know, so using skis and feet, find the headwaters of the Yetna 
and put their pack rafts in it and float all the way to Anchorage in the Cook Inlet. And they left yeah, with they everything. Go. They have they have no drop offs. They left with fucking everything. everything. There was a lot of everything. There was a lot of everything. And those first few days are going to be fucking hard. They're on the weight loss plan. Yeah, they are. They, they, but the, and they like were like none. It's like this. This would be more effective than whatever that crazy drug everyone takes now. Yes, exactly. Olympic or Ozempic, whatever it is. I don't know. Fuck it. Yeah. But uh, they were so like it was just so wonderful to be around them and 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 they are they're taking off on a proper adventure. Real adventure. Yeah. And to think about like they come from one of the most highly developed centers of alpinism in the world, you know, where they live and it's yep. cable car access and it is the proper lab for extreme climbing, extreme yeah. skiing, base jumping, paragl- you know, the paragliding, speed flying, all of these things. It's just like a giant pressure cooker and then they're going to go into the fucking wild. The wild. Wildest West. The wild. And to do that, it was... It was so incredible to be around that energy and like... <sighs> yeah, they. I, I would say to help them get their stuff off the plane, but I didn't. I just no, tried just, to get out of the way. Yeah, don't, <laughs> just don't be in the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. here's, here we are. Don't be in the way. Take don't good, touch anything. Take, don't take fuck good pictures. anything up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was... Uh, that was really something. We got to see, got to go by Mount Bradley, but Paul was circling in such a way that it was uh, a little bit. It was intense. It, it was a little bit airsicky. Yeah, you know, it was intense. I was like, like, man, I cannot hang in Alaska. I, I can't even make it on the flight. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. And then we get, and then we saw. Let's see, we did fly by on the south face of the Moose's Tooth on that one. Yep. Um, so it was really special I, to like begin to see some of the places that Mark had climbed before. Yeah, or failed to climb in the case of the Moose's Tooth. Yeah, but you just, were up there. Yeah, we got pretty, we got a decent decent ways up before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, was, yeah, before John got hit in the face, face with a rock. Yeah, and but um, then he took a great selfie with her or a picture with Hermes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the teddy bear made it eleven pitches up the Hemingway exactly. School in nineteen eighty five. And from Kantishna, then we the flew the range. The mission was to fly all the way to you know way past the west side of Zanali and past Four Acre, past Mount Russell, out to the Kachatnas yep. to do a pickup of three skiers. Yeah, and and I didn't you know I hadn't done any research on the Alaska Range you know besides places that Mark had climbed, and so I didn't know what the Kachatnas were, and oh my god. They're stunning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's all, and the, like there's a cool thing about, I mean, it is a storied range. It's like Patagonia, not only with the, you know, the upthrusts of granite. Uh, maybe the rock quality is not quite as good as Patagonia, uh, or maybe not quite as good as Yosemite, but the relief is similar. But it also gets the weather like Patagonia does, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a sense, yeah. that... I've heard of people, you know, being out there for 20 days, not getting anything done and barely getting picked up before they ran out of food or people being out there for a really long time, can't get picked up, have to fucking walk out. Yeah. And, and the, the first story I heard about the Gachat is, you know, like the, these giant walls at the edge of the world, you know, and it was Bridwell, I think, and Andy Embick and one other. And there was this whole thing about this part of the, the the access to this wall they're trying to climb here to get up this ice cool war, but it's warm and it's running with water. And so Andy Embick has brought a fucking wetsuit to cl- do the ice climbing in um, with the, uh, up this, you know, ice that's still there, but it's just running with water and it's pouring down. And 
I read that and I was like, I'm never going there. And then, you know, fast forward a bunch of years and Conrad is out there with Seth Shaw and they have this incident where mismatched ropes, whatever, uh, on a, on a rappel at night. Uh, you know, memory is hazy, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, the ropes were mismatched, blah, 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 blah. Seth ended up on one of them and, uh, pulled it, fell hundred feet to the ground. And uh, and like deep deep snow. The reason they're retreating is this massive storm. So yep. this huge spindrift pile up at the bottom of this wall they're on, and you know Seth goes poof. Conrad's up there in the dark with his fucking headlamp. You know Seth has most of the rack, and and the ropes, and you know oh fuck. So he starts down climbing, down aiding when he can. He's stand on in etries or in a sling or something on one piece. It pulls. He goes like eighty feet into the snowdrift and then i read that story or heard about it later and i'm like i'm never going there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i still have actually haven't been there i mean we landed there yep. but fuck it's beautiful it's so beautiful i mean granted we had the we had the, like the we had the bomber the weather bomber the whole weather. week the weather was yeah. absolutely amazing so thank you yeah for that universe um and you know and and part of what I wanted to do, which I think that we can talk about, part of what I wanted to do in oh, Alaska yeah. was to spread some of Travis's ashes. Um, and so I brought a mason jar of them. And, and you know, he loved Alaska so much, but Denali wasn't really necessarily his best fit. And so it just seemed like in this beautiful... A lot of people. A lot of... Too many people. And so when we were in this, like, you know much quieter absolutely stunning part of the range it was just felt um more appropriate for his spirit and so he spread some of travis's ashes out there which was really special um yeah and then we picked up our new skier friends whose name now i can't remember but one of them's from salt lake a guide and uh and and one guided up in cook city Oh, yeah. Yeah, the guide, the Salt yeah. Lake City guide. He yeah. guided up in Cook City as well. Yeah. Montana. <laughs> yeah, Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and had a nice conversation with them on the way back. So we got like a tour of the full north side of the range yep. and then flew out, followed the Etna for a little bit, and then back uh, back towards Salkeetna. Really, really, I mean, an incredible plane ride. Oh. Like that I. Uh, stunning. Stunning. Yep. You know, to land on those glaciers and do a flyby on. A couple of guys who were on the shelf glacier. Oh yeah, then we took pictures of them. Yeah, pictures, and one of them, Joseph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who uh, these two guys were on this route on the? I guess I'll just go north face of the citadel. I think, and um, and they were climbing it, and Paul. Then we saw their tracks going up to it, and so Paul's like, "Ah, let's get close." <laughs> we fly, you know, fly at it, get a couple of pictures of them on the face, and then he flies over and tilts the plane. So I'm looking out the left side window straight down on him. It's, let's take a couple pictures. And it's so they're so beautiful. It was it was super fun. And I like I love that because it's like you're like a climber in the Alaska range, and you don't realize that Mark Twight is above you taking pictures. And then we met. So they they got they did the route. Um, and then he did one other thing and then the weather was about to turn the next day. So they called and got, got popped out. So I run into them at the TAT office on the Friday, I guess, after yep. we got back and Joseph comes up and he goes, Hey, Paul said, cause I had already developed a couple of pictures and they're beautiful. S- sent them to Paul. Uh, should they be useful for Talkie near taxi and yep. their marketing? And, uh, and he comes up and he goes, Hey, Paul, uh, 
said that you got a couple pictures. I mean, if you could send something, I'm like, you got an iPhone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in the parking lot there, I mean, another thing, you know, we would wait a, you know, a couple a, a week after we got home from the Alaska range to get the film developed and yep. go through all the slides <laughs> and then maybe find some dude's PO box or whatever and send him a, you know, a, a dupe or a print or something. Now it's instantaneous. So we just fucking airdrop images to, the, to this young guy so in good. the TAT parking lot. It's so good. So fucking good. Yeah. I mean, it's just in some ways, I think that the technology creates distance between people. Yep. Um, but in this moment, like everything that we've talked about with the text from the top of Huntington to this kind of thing right here, or to people seeing that we're in the Alaska range and then, you know, Hey, I hear you're here. We, let's get together. You know, whatever. Um, it, I think in this case it re it reinforced, yep. it brought community t even tighter. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's like with a lot of things, they aren't this or that they're a combination of all. Uh, so technology can, you know, separate us and it can also have the ability to bring us together and, or, and or to introduce used. us like in Alex, the case of Alex, you yes. know, to, the, in, in a way. And, and, um, and I got to say, yeah, the spread some trav in the, in the Kachatnas and that, um, that's where, you know, that's a good place. Yeah. You I, know, this, that feels like a better place for his spirit I, for sure than. He didn't what? want to be on the West Buttress. No, no, <laughs> no. There's a lot. There's a lot of poop in that glacier. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh fuck. Uh, that was cool. That was super cool. And then, and then we met your friend <laughs> Colby. So, so I, well, mean, I guess you 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 didn't meet him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I met him once You've before. Met him before. <laughs> I actually got to find a, you know, got to see whatever the set before we left on Saturday, I'd, you know, find a copy of Extreme Alpinism that I signed for him and Caitlin. I know. In 2000. Yep. Wow. <laughs> to think that I was flying with books. I love that. <laughs> to Alaska at that time. Anyway. So I'm trying to coordinate a visit with Daryl Miller, who lives in Anchorage now. He's retired from the Park Service. He was a climbing ranger in the park when I'm. Scott and I first went in 1994 yep. and eventually became the chief ranger for the South District of the park and then retired early yep. um, due to the onset of Parkinson's. Yep. And we haven't stayed in the best. We had some incredibly powerful experiences. Yes. 94, 95, again in 98. But 94 and 95 were the big years yep. of. And so I, and I haven't stayed in best contact. I'm, you know, it's the, the out of sight, out of mind thing. Um, it's an unfortunate truth of the human condition, yep. you know, in, in, in a way. And, and we talked on the phone about but a year yeah, ago. Yeah, he reached out. Yeah. And uh, it's like, we're going to be there. We got to go see Daryl. Of you course. Know, I gotta, um I want to bring a couple of books. I want to uh, I want to see him and see how. And so we're trying to co coordinate this visit. So I email with him, and then he tells Colby Coombs, runs Alaska Mountaineering School, the acronym of which is AMS. Amazing. Which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got a guide service on the highest point in North America that is basically shares the acronym with acute mountain sickness that is fucking bold it's so good <laughs> so good and colby has a a 
I'll just say a troubled relationship with the Alaska Range. Um, <laughs> having had a really, been the sole survivor of a really fucking horrible accident in yes. 1992. Yes. And, uh, and, and he was living at Daryl's house, living in the basement of Daryl's house in little house shed shack. I don't know in Talkeetna when Scott and I were there in '95, and so we got to know Colby pretty good because we would, you know, live in the basement with Colby and smack our heads on the beams and yep. the too low ceiling. And uh, he's a he's a really extraordinary human being. He's amazing. So he sent. So Daryl gave Colby the. Da, 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 to, Colby sends a text and he's like, "Dude, I got plenty of coffee. Come by the. You know, come come have a coffee. Come have a coffee. Whatever." Mark's like, um, "So you know, in between, I'm obviously getting my runs in. I come back from my run, yeah. and he's and Mark's like, we're gonna go have coffee with a friend. I'm like, awesome. Let's do it. Not knowing, none of us knew what we were actually getting into. <laughs> and so we go over and meet Colby, who is just like gregarious and kind and utterly amazing. Uh, and is showing us around and, and then um, he like looks at Mark and he's like, you know, weather's splitter. Why don't you guys just go camp on the glacier tonight? And Mark looks at me and I'm like already like vibrating in excitement, you know. And, and Mark, I'm second guessing shit like, oh, man, we didn't bring anything. We don't have anything. It's a I glacier. single boots, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. And so Colby's like, I run a guide service. You, <laughs> you can. Know, I can. I'll set you up with everything. You need a tent. You need sleeping pads. You need sleeping bags. You need like a puffy parka. You need down pants. You need boots. It was like my Go- Disney movie happened, <laughs> right? Like I'm like the like the, like woman that like is like I don't have anything prepared, and they're like, "Well, do you want to go have this experience? Come into our office." And I like open it, and like first room is like this food room, which I'm obviously stoked on. And he's like, "Here, just take this bag, fill it up with whatever food that you would like to take, and make sure to get a, some extra in case you we can't fly out tomorrow, and you got to spend you know three or four days in there." And by the way, I made this bag for three extra days of food in case you need it in an emergency situation. And an extra big fuel canister because if there's if you don't have fuel you don't have water out there. And then uh, negative I mean, thirty degree m- sleeping bags. Fucking magic kingdom. It was magic <laughs> kingdom. Finally. Finally, that food room in and of itself just locked me in there. I know, seriously. Blair, I found the mac and cheese. Exactly. <laughs> no worries, Mark. I found the Snickers bars. <laughs> Perfect. That's all you need. Exactly. The, what? The original power bar? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then we get like completely outfitted, down pants. I got my retro Patagonia fleece. Oh, is it like a... Like, like 1980s. Late 80s snap In tea. awesome condition. Oh, yeah. One. Yeah. Looked fabulous. Yeah, it did. Red with purple uh, binding tape, I guess is what it would be. Yeah. Giant yeah. puffy mittens, cookware, spoons, lighter, double boots. Shovels. Shovels that, <laughs> that didn't make it. <laughs> And so, and I'm kind of second guessing. I'm just like, fuck, we don't have harnesses. We don't have ropes. We don't, like, we can't, all right, no more than 25 steps from where the plane drops us off. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. obviously Paul's going to drop us in a um, in a spot where, you know, a, the upper part of the gorge there where things are converging, everything's compressed. Yeah. So not a lot of holes um, hidden or open up and up where we got to be. And it would never have ha- it happened. Wouldn't. You know, we're, we're like, oh, we'll drive up to the visitor center at the north side of the park. <laughs> That'll be a great day. <laughs> I'm like, no, I got this plan. I want to see Mount Hayes. 
It's six hours away. <laughs> we can do it in a day trip. <laughs> that is true. Mark did suggest that. <laughs> like, dude, I'll go we're, with you anywhere. <laughs> we're we're gonna go. We're gonna fly to Alaska and then sit in a car for twelve hours. It'll be great. Party. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't party because there's moose. It's <laughs> like true. a different kind of driving experience here. Yes. So. We tell Paul, we go like, hey, Colby set us up with everything, can like fly us in. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, well, we were going to go for a ski run anyway, so we'll take the small plane, which is the little 185 that... Which it, we, we were originally going to do the Magical History Tour, and because that's yeah. the plane that took you guys it's, in. It's the plane that built TAT. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and the plane that every, every time we flew in, it was that. Except for like 2009, I think we flew when he still had a beaver. Okay. And we had a bunch of military clients, yep. so we had you know gear was overweight so yep. we needed a bigger plane yep um and uh and so phyllis and we flew around we like flew straight into the south face of mount bradley this time yep. could like look through the window and go fuck that is a much narrower and steeper ice line than i remember but okay and flew around a bit saw the north busters of the rooster cone yep which uh hermes had been yep 17 pitches no He'd gotten up 16 pitches. John fell off the 17th. Yep. So Hermes and I never arrived above the 16th pitch. Um, so we got to see that. Decided not to spend the night in the West Fork. Yep. We, yeah. You know, need a little more sun. Yep. Sun was going to go down too fast. And then landed in the upper part of the roof and... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Then like, the plane took off. Then the plane left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we should start uh, packing out a tent platform. Well, so then the plane left, and then I was like, so, Mark, is this when I tell you that I've never winter camped before? This would be a good time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, we're going to... But, gonna, I mean, I've done enough outside. I know how and have moved enough. And you've been ice climbing. Yes. And you've been... Uh, and run through the winter. In that sense, I just mean that you have to take care of yourself and be diligent and cognizant. Yeah. Yeah. And you say that that was your first time on a glacier. But it's not true. Oh, tell me. Because we landed in the Kachatnas on a glacier. Uh, on a glacier. On a glacier. On a glacier. <laughs> and that's what they're called there, apparently. <laughs> well, if you're pretentious. But. <laughs> glacier. Glacier. <laughs> G-L-A-Y-S-H-U-R <laughs> is how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> glacier. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that was your second time, yep. but your first time being conscious of being on a glacier, so that's cool. So yeah, we stomped out our tin platform and got our Pitched beautiful a, camp all set up. Fished a fucking tin. It was awesome. Boiled some water and ate food out of a bag. And it was so much fun. Watched the beer freeze. Watched the beer freeze. It was really cold. It was colder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was really cold. It was cold to where I was like, I have to do everything right to take care of myself. Yeah. Uh, which we did. You know, and the, my only regret, and, and that's not even the right word, but my only regret for <laughs> Alaska is I didn't look out when I had to pee in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. Because the northern lights were going off. Apparently. Apparently. We heard later. We heard later that it was amazing. Witnesses say. <laughs> and we were in like the most perfect spot to see them. But we were like, it's cold. I mean, it was fucking cold. It was really cold. It was cold. Like, I, mean, I couldn't have a, skin like, yeah. out. I mean, you set a beer down on the, you know, the stove platform 
and in 10 minutes there's ice chunks in it yeah it's, it's cold it's really cold yeah. it's cold yeah. i don't know what that temperature is where that happens to beer in that amount of time but i'll say somewhere between zero and ten plus the five to seven mile per hour um just a gentle down glacier breeze the whole time yep. the whole time yep whole fucking time yep Whew. yeah but there we were I know. You know, under the West Ridge of the Mooses, too. Oh, it's so amazing. Under the Cobra Pillar that Tackle climbed with Danini and, and, on, on, on and, the east face of Burrill, under the east face of Mount Dickey. Mount Johnson's just down the way. Mount Bradley's there. And no humans in sight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, obviously, Denali with that little wind cloud. Was <laughs> coming so the beautiful. Top. And, you know, I'm, like, lying there, laying there, lying there, whichever. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like in this place with Mark that he climbed in. Like it was just so special. And, you know, before I knew you, when I only knew you, before I knew you, I wouldn't have imagined you going back to those places. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Same. And so I was really grateful to be there beside you. And, and, and I would not have gone back had it not been for your energy and interest. And also that like, hey, wherever we go, we seem to have a good time. So I'll, I'll just say yes. Never forget and, Texas. <laughs> Mark and I were dying. Of illness. <laughs> of illness. We were just destroyed but we still had a good time fluid leaving from all, everything all holes all holes <laughs> fluid was leaving from uncontrollably sometimes <laughs> so that but we still had a nice time oh god fucking yes. a great time yeah. yeah and and yeah so to, to go up there and to have it completely uh, uh, unanticipated Adventure, yeah. Like I didn't never thought I'd go back, and then we're going back. I never thought it would be good, but it was. I never thought it would be great, but it was. I never thought my mind would blow up like that, but it did. Yeah. And when we came, and so Paul drops us off. We spend the night. It's wonderful. Sat, you know, supposed to call after a certain time to organize a pickup with a sat phone. Sat phone doesn't fucking work, so that's cool. I'm like, they know we're here. We've got food and fuel for three or four days. Yeah. We're fine. Yeah. We do need to be ready in case a plane just shows up. Of course. So we'll take the camp down, everything. Yep. We'll dig a... Organize you know, everything. We'll organize everything. We'll make ourselves a patio with a nice windbreak wall behind it. It was such a glorious patio. And we'll tan. Yeah. Yeah. We'll make, and the only and the best way to get a plane to land is to make a hot drink. Exactly. Which is what we did. And it did. And then the plane came. Yeah. And then it, and then it was Leanne and the Otter. Yeah. And it was just so like just flying with Paul was incredibly special for a lot of different reasons, just because of who he is as a person and also your history and his knowledge of the range and his experience as a pilot. Like it was just incredible. And it was also really special to get to fly with Leanne for one, just her own energy. Yeah. Um, and who's been flying an airplane since she was 12. 12. She's been flying since she was 12. Like she's just um, like, she's like grew up in Alaska. She is a climber and a mountaineer and a pilot and just this, just like this, effervescent and energy like she's just incredible and so she just landed and she's like how'd the date go <laughs> <laughs> and well we had to keep our clothes on <laughs> for the most cold part. like that yeah. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, she came and we like loaded up the plane, but I wanted to put some of Travis's ashes there. Yeah. And so we told her just a little bit of it and, you know, our people just connect, you know, and her eyes well up and she's feeling things as well. And, um, just grateful to share in a special experience. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize it until afterwards, and so I want to send her a raven print as well, but she calls herself the raven, which I hadn't realized, you know, and I had been wondering that night. I'm like, I wonder if ravens like come this deep into the Alaska range because I haven't seen one here yet. I've seen them on my runs in, yeah. in town in Telkeetna, um, but I haven't. In Anchorage. In Anchorage as well. I mean, I'll, and, yeah. And you know they come in there because... But I hadn't seen one, yeah. you know, and nor had I, and and it might have just been too cold. It was we really did cold. Not see, yeah, we didn't see any there. But when what? But when we had our Raven incident on the Mount Bradley trip, it was March, yes, and it was cold, yeah. Okay, so we just didn't have food. We didn't have enough food. We didn't have snacks. Yeah, had I was we, hoarding them all. Had we brought Doritos? Oh, Doritos for sure. We would have seen a we Raven. Seen, yeah, but but Leanne came into yeah. the mountains so we saw a raven it. so we saw a raven and she goes by the raven and she's also this incredible artist and painter and and she views it like you know she gets to fly around these mountains like a raven does and then she gets to paint these beautiful landscapes of them and and you know and before she flies she opens up the door and she gives a caca she gives a but she gives it a more real yeah uh, raven call than that and that's how she takes off every single time and like it was just like so special like i was like looking for a raven in these mountains and then she came to us um and so i definitely want to send her a print and explain you know like that's my sign that's our sign for travis yeah and uh and she's like oh i picked you guys up first because i have to go to the the Togo Sitna. Yeah, to go pick and up. And there's a couple of people who want to say hello. Exactly. <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. I know we're thousands of miles from home. <laughs> and you want to fly us from one glacier to another glacier because uh, you got to pick some people up. And there's and you say there's some people over there that, A, know we're here, and B, want to know us and want to say hi. <laughs> so at this point, it's so good. At this point, I think it's just Matt Cornell who knows yeah. us, who knows us both. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, oh, it's Matt. Maybe it's like some other climbers that like heard Mark Twites in town and are stoked to see him. So, you know, Leanne takes us. It's an, uh, again, an absolutely ridiculously stunning flight. She's amazing. Um, it's wonderful to get to talk with her. It's wonderful to get to see her do her thing. Yeah. Um, we land over there and we get off the plane and there's Matt Cornell. And then all of a sudden I go, oh my God, that's Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob from Helena. It's Bob from why, Helena why, and Mekin. Why, why wouldn't he be here? <laughs> I met Bob, I don't know, eight years ago or something. Yeah, I think you said that, seven or eight. Seven yeah. or eight years ago, and we were both running a 50K, and it was his first ultra ever. And we just like bonded during the experience, shared some Mountain Dew, um and got to talk for a while and, and you know our paths have crossed um here and there but you know i think i saw bob and megan not very long after travis died and my brain doesn't work like i can't yeah i, I like that exists in some ethereal land that i can't like necessarily pull up um but yeah all of a sudden we were like with our friends on a glacier in the Alaska <laughs> unbelievable and then and so we pick bob and megan up and, and then sam, sam yep. and Zach, I think, is the mm -hmm. guy he was climbing with, and they had done a, they had done a new route, 
uh, well, maybe maybe one would call it a variation of the Colton Leach, but basically several, probably a dozen or so new hard pitches to eventually join the the ramp on that Colton Leach route on the West Face, and then um, and we're flying out, and then. Sam had asked, hey, could we fly by the Diamond or Red? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yes. I would like to see this. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a, it's a, Root has a storied history, shall we say. Yes. It's the first ascent. Again, Jack Tackle and Jim Danini. Yep. And uh, there's some situation with the rope. One maybe, uh, anyway, as soon as I edit and put out the podcast I recorded with Tackle this winter. Oh, yeah. We did. I'm pretty sure we talked about it. Good. We hear it in his words, and I'll just say that uh, maybe a rope was dropped, and maybe uh, that meant that they couldn't go down the way that they wanted to, so they rappelled down the mini moonflower before it, on the, in, t- towards Kilton Base, um, before it had been climbed. Yep. Uh, so there was a called a first descent, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and as uh, I confirmed afterwards, um, because <laughs> uh, where the they do the last rappel off basically the second to the last piece of gear they have, yep. uh, fix it, basically fix a single rope and then get to the end of it and cut it. So they have a little bit to go across the glacier. So they ended up uh, walking into Cahilton Base with like uh, 60 feet of rope tied between them, which is not exactly enough. Yep. You, know, you want a little bit more distance between. Um, so Sam and I kind of chatted in the plane about that. And he, apparently he and uh, Mike Gardner, who I just learned was George, I'm pretty sure, son. Anyway. Uh, they'd been looking on the at the right side of the lower rock wall. I mean, it's a stunning route. It's so beautiful. And uh, they'd been looking at it for a while, but it was the first chance that they got, you know, Sam got to like get up close and see it. And so hopefully um, weather happens and he can, you know, get the right partner to get in there, get landed. And, and the joke is, it's like a, it's a weird landing in a really small pocket glacier. And the joke always was that, yeah, I'll land you there, but I won't pick you up. Yep. So you got to fucking send. Exactly. And... Because uh, it's it's, it seems like a pretty dangerous place to to put a plane in, and and um, and and you wouldn't want to really spend the night there. You know, if you, if you got caught by bad weather in there, there may be a place you could tuck in and hide, a camp and survive. But otherwise, it'd just be spindrift avalanches all around, and you probably get oh yeah, you'd probably just get swept. So you need to like perfect weather, land the plane, start climbing. Yep, kind of thing. That was super fun. Oh, it was amazing. To and then to share that flight, and then to listen to Bob talking with Leanne because Bob's like a, he's got ten hours of flight he's got time. Ten and, hours of flight time in. As, as a new pilot. Yeah. Or awesome. you know, I don't know if you can call it that yet. Yeah, he's a. He did say something like, "I have yet to successfully land a plane," and I'm yeah. like, "Did you unsuccessfully <laughs> land a plane?" So if I had a microphone on my headset, I wanted to ask that at that moment when he said that. I was like, "Dude, is there?" Any other, I mean, I know you can, you know, unsuccessfully oh, land a plane, which... But you're gen- still here, so... So, yeah, how does this work? <laughs> and to, I, th- I think to to be able to share that moment on the roof when Leanne came to pick us up, mm. um, when, you know, we were spreading Trav's ashes there. Yeah. And you could tell, you know, she's a sensitive, she's a feeler. She's a, and yeah, she's a feeler. Plus, as you noted, that you know, Trav would be like, huh? Oh yeah, another another babe, another babe. <laughs> I told her I was like, she's like, oh, she's like, you know, I don't, I don't have to be here, or like some something can, like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh dear God, no! Like Travis would love another babe here. 
And so he's in the Kachatnas. He's got. He's in the Ruth. Yep. A lot of other places around. Oh uh, yes, yes. And yeah, and then we were in Talkeetna, uh after getting out and you know unpacked, organized some disorganized uh, and also disorganized some things. Yep. And um, prior to flying in, though, also another old friend, um, Joe Reichert, who's climbing oh, ranger yeah. there. Who? Oh my God, he was so kind. And the weird thing is, just like I'm, you know, I, I know we can basically fly into the range and not tell anyone and get yep. driving. You know, I'm like, fuck. I'm an adult. I go to the park. I don't need a dirt bag. This plus I have an annual parks pass. Exactly. So, um, to go to register, register. Yeah. Know, get our clean mountain cans. So. Oh, we, we also had to do our expedition name. Oh yeah. And so on all the paperwork, they're like, what's your expedition name? And, and you know, Travis and I were the Speedsons, because uh, Speed and Swanson. And so Mark and I have decided that we're um, the house of spite for Speed and Dwight. It's perfect. <laughs> and one of the cows in the... So Larry in the in the in the TAT office. Are you sure you want this name? You sure you want House of Spite? Spite. Spite? Like, let me tell you why. Yeah. Everything makes sense, and then everyone's cool with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But to see Joe and like, I, I know that we were on at least one rescue together, uh, for sure that I remember. Um, would have been two thousand when, like, total fucking A team. Had magically assembled at the fourteen thousand foot camp on the yep. west buttress, yep. and there was a dude that had had a heart attack at seventeen, and so the, and there was no way the helicopter could go get him. Blah blah blah. So it was like, all right, it's and and so it was uh, myself, Steve House, Scott Backies, Joe Reichert, Pete Athens, a couple of PJs. I think John Loomis was one of them. And one or two other guys now that, but it was like a 10 man team yep. that we just fucking charged up there. Of course. Bagged this mountain. <laughs> it was amazing. That's so incredible. And then the helicopter could land at 14. So it came and, you know, we got him all the way down and the helicopter came and got him and took him out. You and, know, some of my favorite stories from Alaska are the rescues. Um, one, because it's just like, you know, that's the human spirit. And also because, you know, that was my life was, you know, Travis did search and rescue for 17 years. So I'm used to like, you know, grabbing all the gear, going and yeah. to these places. You're used to the pager going off. Yeah, or, I'm used to the pager going, or me or stuffing it under a mattress because I can't figure out how to turn it off. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and one of my favorite, one of my absolute favorite nonprofit podcasts are, is the one with you and Scott Backies talking about one of the rescues in Alaska early, earlier on. 95, yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know which one we're talking about. So 94 was the, um, uh, Mark may have been chemically enhanced that one. for the rescue. Yes, yeah. yeah. So maybe we didn't talk. I, mean, I, did, I can't remember. I think I don't I think I don't know if you did the heart attack one in in depth. No, we didn't do the heart attack no. one. But then there was the. But maybe we talked about the Spanish guys. Down low or no, the way way high, the highest Chinook landing ever. Oh no, you Still. did talk about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of them. Yep. And they're just it. It is. Uh, it is part of it. it oh and, yeah. And it that that one in two thousand where we. You know, assembling went up to seventeen to get the get Lev, I think his name was, which means lion, in Lithuania. I think he was Lithuanian. Okay. Anyway, 
um, we arrived, like Scott and Steve and I, we were acclimatized. Yep. Um, relatively well, because I'd been to the summit already. Oh, Scott wasn't. Uh, Steve was acclimatized. I'd already been to the top once uh, that year, and um, or that season. And so we get to 14, and I think it was Roger who was the uh, was on was the the ranger who was on patrol doing his three week patrol there uh, came over and say, "Hey guys, I'm trying to fucking unpack. <laughs> Still, uh, we got this thing. Um, really glad to see you." <laughs> so, uh... which which would often happen? Yeah, being there, you know, show up at 14, and and. You know, being competent and someone who like face a name recognition, you just get roped into helping. Yeah, so they trust you. Which, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that and you know and welcome extra horsepower in a oh, lot of yeah. those things. It's like, man, is a team of two to try and go get that dude? No, no, you need. Yeah, I and, mean, it could it could happen. Yep, it's, it would just take longer and be less safe. Yes, for everyone. And hearing about those and also knowing, you know, when Travis and Joey um, were up there in 2017, you know, on their way down, they performed three separate crevasse rescues to the point that, you know, like the park was like, can we pay you guys? Like, thanks for that. It's volunteer firefighter pay. It's not, it used to be like back in the, like I think in 98, it was $23 an hour or something for volunteer firefighter pay. I'm like, this is a good gig. How do I get a, just going to hang out here, get a job. Like, paid <laughs> twenty three bucks an hour. It's better. It's <laughs> but it was I, it was special to get to meet him. He was so excited to see you. Yeah, yeah. It was really nice. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's a fucking character. Yeah, and we both have bilateral hip, you know, titanium hips. Yeah, or whatever exactly. The fuck it is. Yeah, it's awesome. Twin <laughs> hips. Twin hips. Four <laughs> hips in the room. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I. It, I mean, it's really moving, you know, because there, there was a a lot of time up there, especially it's waiting and, you yeah. know, things and get to spend time with people, you know, on the glacier or waiting in Talkeetna or maybe partying in Talkeetna or the day after the party in Talkeetna or, um, or, or just hearing, you know, or in participating in radio traffic about shit that's happening on the mountain. Yeah. Um, it's a close relationship and the amount of loss whether you know close or somewhat distant right that everyone who's been up there and conscious has shared yeah is it's it's it's, it's really something oh yeah and marking you know indelibly marking our condition spirit so we got off the glacier so we got off the glacier i went for a run yeah you went for a run (laughs) yeah made some dinner yeah got to the fairview a little early we got there for the early bird special yeah yeah 9 30 p.m yeah who hangs out (laughs) super late exactly people until kina well when the sun doesn't go down till 10 (laughs) yeah you know and even not really much at all later in the year. Yeah, so exactly. Super wasted leaving the Fairview at closing time and the sun's still... Stop. That would be so wild. It's a bit much. When Mark and I finally left that night, I was like, oh man, it must be really late. It's dark out here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we had a mile walk home. I know. I mean, there was no sobering up in that short <laughs> amount of time. 
I was sober maybe Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Then. (laughs) Oh, man, we had a great uh, Fairview experience. And and, uh, it's a shame that it was so loud that we had to, you know, shout and lose our voices in order to communicate. But that seems like that's like the... The yeah. experience, but that is part of the experience, yeah. and and as was noted afterwards, like I think Col- we were talking with Colby about it, like yeah. when smoking used to. At still least you didn't be have allowed, to get down on the floor out of the smoke, out of the smoke, in order to see each other. Basically, yeah. I remember like coming out of there and realizing, like, ah, oh, my ears are ringing and my lungs are burning. What fucking happened? What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I also feel like shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember that a few hours ago I was not feeling like shit, and it was amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So some dancing, some in intense f- dancing, and inten- you know, an I- intensely deep and interesting philosophical conversation oh. with with Bob and Megan and Paul. <laughs> yeah, wonderful conversation. <laughs> wow. But the most um, existentially moving moment for me. <laughs> personally was watching Paul dance and I told Mark singularly uninhibited uninhibited yeah like just freedom of soul and like to witness that in another being is like what life is about and I like looked at Mark and I was like I just want to live my life like Paul dances like fucking highest ideal right there a hundred percent yeah that would be were that possible yes and you know hey strive we go practice. for it yeah. i believe in you thank you <laughs> i see the human potential in you thank you yeah i encourage <laughs> <laughs> all of it and we could just we'll just leave it that um some trav might have been around might have been left there has been 100 <laughs> percent Yep. <laughs> Might have ended up in some people's drinks. I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> For sure. If you were dancing, uh, what day was that? <laughs> if you were in the Fairview on such and such a night, you're welcome. You partied with more than you thought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> some big spirit there. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, a good flashback and then also a really beautiful new memory of that location like i've had i love that the, the gamut yep <laughs> it was like i was just stoked to go there because you know i mean travis loved the fair view oh yeah, yeah. and you got to get ice cream at nagley's yep maybe a red bull if you don't think you're gonna get caught but you do yep um, <laughs> all of the, the only thing that you know the roadhouse was closed yep that's kind of a bummer so yep. you know there's a couple things yep so we'll have to go back and go skiing next year yeah yeah yeah, I've got skis stashed there. I have to pee really bad. Oh. I'm sorry that you'll have to cut that now. Okay. But I'm... Yeah. Okay. 6.30. I know. If we are done by 7, I can still run. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I love you. Thank you. Hey. Hey. Hey, we were talking about being hungover after a night in the Fairview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine was tricky. Like, I, like, you know, I don't drink that much at all any longer and i woke up the next morning i was like ah, still got it and then it was like three hours later i was like i don't still got it, I don't still I, got it. I, this this is rough this hit me yeah this is like delayed action hangover. exactly <laughs> worth it oh i yeah. mean you have to for that like that yeah. yeah yeah it was it was nice because it was like you know it's a weekend night and good weather Oh, it was I, like I don't know, it was like spring. The people were coming out of hibernation. Yeah, it was very bear-like. It was really bear-like. That's a great description of what it was. 
and to go from you know being in it yeah all that had happened there going by the red house seeing colby caitlin joe you know all of you know and then to go to anchorage and see daryl and daryl was um and and i was super nervous yeah to go visit how come uh because I I knew you know I don't know what the extent of the Parkinson's is I yeah. don't know how he'll be yeah and Colby gave me this really good, good I mean he gave great advice he yeah. said look when it's bad yeah and he's it, in pain a lot yeah. but he's Daryl he's yep. like you know charging through he's living with he's you know yeah and he said but once you start talking about the old days yeah well a just ignore. Yep. any shaking yep. and once you start talking about the old days it'll be gone yep. he will just immerse in the story and 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 disassociate from this thing for yep. the time that he's in that story and in and, and in that time oh man I just like admired so much about Daryl and and I think part of that was like he didn't pretend that it wasn't a part of him or that it yeah. didn't impact him. He didn't not acknowledge it. And he also didn't sit there. He didn't only sit there. Like he was so, he was so able to beautifully communicate stories shared and not only stories and experiences shared, but also, you know, other people that shared in those experiences with you both and also their continuing lives. Like he stayed, he, one of the ways that he expresses his love is is to stay connected to the people that he cares about yeah. and to know what they have continued on with or to share what, what he and his wife have continued on with. Like, um, it was just really powerful in a lot of different ways. As I mentioned before, I haven't stayed in the best, you know, in contact. And part of that that was... I never understood how important Scott and I were to Daryl as friends, as human beings, as, you know, his connection to guys who were, you know, from a mountaineering background. He's tough as fuck. Yeah. I mean, I don't... The stories, yeah, yeah, of his ability to just sustain, yeah, are incredible, and oh, yeah. and and I, I didn't understand yeah. until this trip that that the times, the time, that, and the things that we shared were really important. And what a gift, and what a lesson that you're both alive to have that shared together still. Yeah, um, yeah, my life would be poorer. Um, had we not made, spent those hours. Oh yeah. And we spent like, we got to go over there in the like mid afternoon and we got to stay for the whole afternoon. And, and then they made us like, like the most amazing dinner. And they like, I like, oh, well one, their dog was named Raven. Yes. Of course. Which, (laughs) and she was black and tan, which was amazing. A Gordon Sutter. Yep. And then they had Raven stickers on their window. Yes. And I was like, well, we're definitely supposed to be here. And on, and like, and the way that I told Mark that it felt, you know, like Mark and I, we don't have grandparents any longer. And it's not like, you know, 
we don't have grandparents any longer and like to go into their home and to get to sit and just talk and be with them and to hear about different things and to share a meal homemade meal together like it felt like getting to like have the experience of visiting family when we don't necessarily get to have that and that was just like a really beautiful part of it yeah 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 and and I finally got some clarification on some stories. Oh yeah. Oh wait, before the stories. But I didn't get to say the the last thing I wanted in Alaska was fresh salmon. For king salmon. King fresh salmon. Fresh salmon. And that's what they made. Yeah. They just a friend had just like caught it. Yep. And came over and hacked off a fillet and left it with them. Thank you, universe. Which they shared. Yeah, it was incredible. It was so, it was like butter. Yeah, it was amazing. God, 12 minutes on the grill. I don't know what the temperature was, but I know that Daryl had set a timer for 12, like 12 minutes. Exactly. 12 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chef like, Daryl. Okay. I know this now. Should I ever <laughs> come into contact with Fresh King Salmon <laughs> yes. again in my life? <laughs> yes. yes. Um, what were your yeah. clarifications on? Well, one of the things was <laughs> I in 1994 when we first met. And 94 on the, on the mountain was, was rough. Um, a lot of a lot of people died. Yep, and uh, a lot, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember that. But but some that were really powerful, and one of them was this uh, was a young Korean, and and the Koreans in the years preceding ninety four had had a number of high profile accidents yep. of based on underestimation, uh, overestimation. Yes. You know, the natural world not aligning with the imaginary, you know, or the <laughs> world of ambition. Yes. There were some pretty high-profile accidents. And, and so the National Park Service had instituted a ban. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, and they're like, hey, as a group, y'all come over here and get in some trouble. Yeah. And so they've been banned. And I don't, maybe it had just been for a year. And then that year, 94, a, a young climber, arguably, the you know, the best climber in South Korea, yep. was sent over to learn and observe, collect information, you know, blah, 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 come back and educate climbers who were hoping to come over and climb Denali. Yep. So he was on patrol with Daryl, I think, at 14. So patrol up there means, you know, you're spending, you, you climb up and you spend basically three weeks at the 14,000 foot camp and you're giving information people, you're handling medical issues that might arise, dealing with accidents, whatever. And, uh, so there was a good weather day, and he and another guy decided to go out and try and climb the West Buttress Direct, which you drop down from 14 to below Windy Corner, climb one of these ice routes. You end up at 16.5 or something like that. Traverse along the ridge, get over to the top of the, the head wall on the West Buttress, come down to 14. Should be, you know, okay. Something happened, uh, and uh, this... And he might have been alone. I, I think there were two of them. But anyway, this this young guy died, froze to death. You know, got stalled out somewhere. And I, I think I might have written about it in one of the essays that's in Kiss or Kill, how, you know, flew him off the mountain. We were all back in Talkeetna. His family flown over. And he's buried in the little cemetery in Talkeetna. Right. I think the most, there are two unforgettable moments from that afternoon. And the first of them was, well, the lesser of them 
was the sound, you know, it's a, like a, I don't know, 16 gauge steel coffin. It's not wood. It's not ornate. It's not anything. It's like, you know, piece of steel. Yeah. And we start, when you throw the first shovelfuls or handfuls of dirt onto the top of a steel coffin that's in a hole, uh, it makes a sound that you can't ever forget. Yeah. It is a, it is the ending. It's the bell at the end of the day. It was really fucking powerful for me. Prior to that dirt getting thrown in, Daryl was speaking. Yeah. And he started talking. And this is a guy who's survived a lot, been through a lot. Started talking about this young guy. And, and he said, and he just stopped talking and broke down in tears. And I'm watching this guy who I've seen be a pillar of strength for the time that I've been up there. And I know a tiny bit of his history. He went to Vietnam as a very young Marine. And I, I don't remember how many tours. I'm going to say three. And, um, and he said, I, afterwards we were talking and he said, I was in the cemetery here talking about this young Korean and I was suddenly speaking at the funerals of the, and I'm going to say 30-ish yeah. guys that had died alongside him in Vietnam. Yep. And he had spoken at some of their memorials or he had buried them or he had been there or he had held them while they died. And he said, and it all just came rushing back all at once and he just broke down. And, and I'd been at a number of funerals before that but nothing that strong, yeah. nothing hit me like that. And I just thought, holy shit, if death is a big fucking deal. Yeah. If talking about this guy he had spent three weeks with, yeah. four weeks with, didn't know before that. Yeah. But it's not just that. Yeah. It's everything. It's all of life, all at, all now. Yeah. And, we're going to coalesce and we're going to fucking boom. And it's understanding the preciousness of life. Yeah. You know. And I see this and I realize like, wow, it can, it breaks all of us. Yeah. It, it takes everything from all of us. Yeah. And then we continue. Yeah. Yeah. Scott and I did a new route in the Alaska range and we tried another one on Mount Foraker and failed, you know, blah, blah, blah. All, you know, th that, ex those experiences, the, the talking to these, you know, this young couple before they went up and then they fall and, mm, you know, she, she dies died. and, being there at for you know when they flew her frozen body back to base camp and then watching you know Kevin basically break her arm to fit her in the body bag because position she froze in you know and hearing that sound you know all of those experiences were fucking nothing yeah compared to seeing Daryl be a human being yeah an open-hearted sensitive strong and in that moment breaking human being yeah um you know that's how i remember daryl after that trip yeah <clears throat> although it was also on that trip where we'd had a certain confrontation about what we were going to do to rescue some people what the park service wasn't going to do and he invited us to, you know scott and i to come back the following year to you know see how it normally is done or <laughs> maybe help or you know 
pay it forward yeah, in right. some way. Yep. But that moment, Graveside, was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, the little, you know, but Muggs's body was never, you know, recovered, but there's a little, you know, monument there for him. Yeah. There's, you know, you go through there, you see names that, of people that it's, are known. And, that story of Daryl, it just, like, reminds me, you know, like, um, strength is shown in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But it, that conversation also did allow me to clarify some lighter things. Oh, like what? Well, during that year, you know, we obviously after a funeral, some drinking's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just looking for some gorgeous disassociation right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and it might not have been after that, but at some point, Daryl's telling us about himself and about his history and his life. And to, also to learn during that conversation that, you know, he... Put up, he put the holds on the first artificial climbing wall at the college in Bozeman oh, yeah. with Pat. Yeah. Or somehow connected with that he knows Pat, that he knows Scott oh, Gill, know. that he knows all those guys. That was amazing. It was fucking beautiful. Yeah. But he had told some stories about his life after getting out of uh, the Marine Corps, you know, kind of cruising around the United States trying to find what the fuck do I do now? I've been irrevocably changed by this experience that, uh, I've had and and uh, and so he dances. <laughs> Raymond is gonna love this. Yes, he is. He's, you know, he did some work as a rodeo clown. Yeah. And he handed us this pamphlet, and the pamphlet and the pamphlet came about. It's like a little short story yeah. in a in a little six or eight page thing, a pam- little small pamphlet. And it came about because Daryl had written this story about his first <laughs> experience exposure to uh, Jim Shoulders. I think it is. Anyway, the guy who uh, who. Uh, you know, he's like he's got a like a rodeo clown education and training school. And, so Daryl had written a short story. A friend of his had fucking copped the story, and had taken it and had this had this thing printed. And there's you know so a few hundred copies floating around. We have one. I will cherish it for fucking yeah. It's amazing. It's so good. So good. And the title of this story about him being, you know. His first experience as a radio clown was something like, you'll probably be dead by Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so this story in the pamphlet, you know, about his first experience with the bull happens on a Monday. Yeah. So. At this rate, you'll be dead by Friday. Yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, so, that, so he did a little bit of that. And um, and then he had told me the story about boxing. I, and I guess it's not just boxing. It's kind of like MMA with a chimpanzee. God damn, what are their names? There's three of them. Well, it'll come back later. But um, so he meets up with this guy who has trained these chimps to box and fight. And he would set up in, I guess, bars at, or, or uh, outside, you know, military bases because you could convince anybody, you know, here, you kick in $25, you can fight the chimp. And uh, so he told me this story about these, you know, these boxing chimps. And he traveled a little bit with this guy who had these boxing chimps. And, and, the, guy, and, and the guy also had some, uh, some lower mountain gorilla. I can't remember exactly the definition, but there's a beautiful picture he showed us of him with this, you know, young Daryl Miller having his basically head palmed like a basketball by a fucking giant gorilla. I'm like, whoa, that's not an experience I necessarily want to have, but that is rad. That is fucking cool. And, and so there's these three chimps. 
you travel around and it's basically, you know, you make a bunch of money and people pay, make bets on, you know, is the human going to win? Is the chimp going to win? And the chimp always won. And the chimps were fucking undefeated. But they put boxing gloves on the, on the, I think they put gloves on them and a muzzle so they don't bite you. And then you get in the ring with the chimp, you pay your money and you get in the ring with the chimp and it does not go, apparently it does not go the human's way ever. And so I've been telling this story you know, and, and and at one point I was telling it to somebody about my friend Daryl, and he was part of this operation where they had these boxing chimpanzees, and already it sounds fucking ludicrous. Like, I know I'm asking myself, is this real? Did you make this up? Is this real? like I'm pretty sure? No, no, I think the, yeah, okay, this part's real for sure. So, and they're outside military bases, and, the, and he t- tells this you know story about like Ugh, you know drunk marine, whatever, it's gonna come up and. And uh, like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna fuck your chimp up, man. I'm gonna get, just give, let me get, get in there, get in the ring, get the shit beat out of you. And then, and and I had in the initial telling my version of it, the the trainer had taught the chimps to pants the guy to pull the pants down afterwards. But Daryl clarified this time that, and and then I'm telling the story about like, yeah, beat the shit out of the guy and then pull his pants down. That was the thing. That sounded crazy after a while. And so I asked Daryl, is this True. And he goes, oh, yeah, it's more than true that the chimps decided to do that on their own. And and they would pull the pants so hard that basically the the belt, the leather belt would stay around the guy's waist and the jeans would be gone after they beat him up. So I think the chimps were undefeated. Daryl's like, yeah, it's fucking true. And the guy's name was blah, blah, blah. And he said, I own. and, And then. And so I'm I'm glad to know that I hadn't, you know, I'm just not like losing my mind in my old old age, at least to that degree. And, and then we t- we talked about a couple other things that I wasn't totally clear on back in the day either, you know, of you know who might have been staying at the shack at any given time because Daryl's, you know, it was kind of an open door policy there, and all kinds of people came through. Um, it was it was really special to. And for us to walk through a couple of different rescues, because he was, he was like, I had written some after the hunter rescue where, you know, the, the park service was unable to do anything for a variety of reasons. And so we talked about the, you know, Scott and Mike Vanderbeek and I, and we skied out and then Tahoe Roland and five of his guys snowshoed out and, you know, snowed two feet in the night, made it super fucking dangerous. And I was pretty pissed off afterwards for, um, for, for, uh, people who I assumed were mountain people, and and I, and I don't think I'm wrong about that. They're mountain people. They have the mountain spirit, but they're also handcuffed by a bureaucracy that needs to dot I's and cross T's before anything can happen. Whereas we're totally free. We're voluntarily taking the risk to go help these people, but because of their you know professional association, they can't do the same thing, right. which I didn't see at the time. Right. I'm just like you fucking cowards, you know, yep. essentially. Yeah. And I guess that, had, you know, what I had written about that after the fact, I guess that it kind of hurt Daryl a yeah. little bit because, you know, obviously his intention, Kevin's intention in the right place, yeah. but they couldn't. Yeah. But I didn't see the couldn't part. I didn't see the restraints at the time and now I can. And so this will be something that I'll write to Daryl in the, in the future, but to, to, to look at that and to recount some of the other events that had happened, um, on patrol the following year and with different air wrecks that happened that killed friends of ours that 
it, I mean, it was a really difficult and also beautiful trip down memory lane and to see Dave Schumann there, um, who was a PJ for the Air National Guard and had been involved in a bunch of rescues, um, specifically the quote-unquote invasion of Canada. It will be covered in the Jack Tackle podcast. <laughs> um, and to talk about friends that, you know, you know, who I had encountered, like Charlie Cicera or um, there and what they're up to now and things like that. It was, it was a really beautiful visit. To, to to spend time with him and to make a connection and learn more about him and about Judy and to I don't know meet my the first Gordon Setter <laughs> and obviously I'd, uh, there had been a Corgi uh, in Terrell and Judy's life always Jacob is a new one um, that was always I think Daryl had coined the term vertically challenged mm-hmm but they're such wonderful dogs. I, it really did feel in a way, my girl's not too much older than me. Right. But I understand the, yep. the feeling of like visiting a grandparent's yep. house. Yeah. Of reminiscing, of helping, of, of being there to watch Daryl recover memories or not be able to piece them together or whatever. But it, it, it is exactly like Colby said, man, you, put him back in the day, get him telling a story about, you know, he was talking about circumnavigating Mount Four Acre and Denali in the winter with Mark Stasek. I mean, yeah, you, you broke his skis, fell into a fucking river in the winter. You know, it's minus 25 or whatever outside. Do your rewarming drill. You know, like these young people talk about rewarming drills. I'm like, well, that was the real one. It's like, you're not at, in a, situation where someone can pull you out or whatever. This is like two dudes, no radio contact. You just barely didn't drown. And now you're soaking wet in the middle of the Alaska range in the winter. What do you do? Fuck. When he first told me about that trip, I'm like, it was what did he say? 45 days, I think. And, uh, to, to be out there, you know, to like have scouted the terrain by air to kind of look at like, Oh, you, okay. You could go here and, Maybe get over there, you know, through this. It's not a pass, Daryl. It's a way you cross the Alaska range, I think was the comment from Brad Washburn. But to just look at what they did, it's fucking incredible. Mm. It hasn't been done mm. since. And for them to figure out that we're going to need both snowshoes and skis and boots and probably can't carry everything, so we'll put two caches in, you know, before before winter happens and uh yeah as soon as he started talking about that and he's just like transformed i mean he he was like a bird just soaring on wind not moving the wings just like this is really incredible and it's really something to understand that Although we have lost, we still love. Yeah. And not just the those who are gone, but them leaving has, I think, taught us or allowed us to love better 
our people who are still here. Oh, yeah. Definitely grants you the gift of presence. You know, it's like, <clears throat> and you know, this might partially come from age or maybe it comes from age, like age is aided by the losses that carry us through or that we experience. Um, but I think when I think about you and I and I think about our appreciation of every moment and every day and how that infiltrates into the way that we interact with one another, um, it's a really powerful part of my life. Um, and, and, and that awareness helps me live the life that I would like to live. It's pretty wild to spend time with other people who have come down from the mountains, so to speak. I bet. And to understand their appreciation of the, you know, quote unquote, little things. Oh yeah. The mundane you realize like, wow, these are, these, these moments nourish us, nourish us as much as other bigger things in the past. Oh yeah. I mean, I think about that, like with the simple things like, you know, washing the dishes or cleaning the kitty litter box or whatever, you know, like yeah. at one point in my life, I thought these were the things that were in the way, but they are the way, right? Like our, yeah. our presence in them or our ability to be grateful that we have dishes to wash, you know, cause our family ate and was together. And, that, and we're here to wash them. Exactly. Or that we have these healthy being cats, you know, like to take care mm -hmm. of them is such an honor. Yeah. Or that people read words or hear words yeah. and make contact and say, I mean, I don't know that one today from Brendan was. Oh yeah. Pretty meaningful. Oh yeah. You know, to see someone who, or to hear from someone who was reminded by some writing about washing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> about those little moments. Mm -hmm. And I feel like being able to share some of those on, in Alaska was, well, it'll take a while to integrate, as you said, yeah. but it's also never going away. Yeah. Yeah. Blur Speed. March you, you spent the night on a glacier. On a glacier. <laughs> yeah, it did. It was awesome. I had a lot of hot chocolate. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, I should have got. You know, we were in the food room. Coley says, "Like, take whatever you want." Yeah, I'm like, Mark's all over there, like I, fucking bird feeding it. You I know, don't, I don't want to be a burden. I don't I'm like, dude, if we get stuck more. out there, I want to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're stuck in here, and I'm happy. Same. Okay. Mm. I think you got to go for a run. I do have to go for a run. It's true. Tick tock. Tick tock. Miles to cover. Exactly. Yeah. Before I sleep. Mm hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Always.